Welcome everyone back to Right Guys episode 12. We are here 12. with one of the most <laughs> exciting <laughs> episodes that we've had yet. This is story <laughs> development part three. There's been a, yes. a part one two weeks ago, many weeks ago, part two three weeks ago at this point. And now part three, we're rounding out storytelling, talking about mise-en-scene. This is once you get into the details and the nitty gritties of the scene. How do you create your tone? How do you create your mood? We're talking about creating these elaborate worlds, these schemes of yes. plots, things that are happening, objects and, and, and twists flying at you left and right at 100 miles per hour. How do you slow down and create those those tonal moods and details that make storytelling special? Yes. How do you make all of your elements in in the frame of your story just maximize feel yeah. and what you're going for? We talk yeah. about that. Uh, ben has a new song coming out called New England yes. that is now out, if you're hearing this. And we do a lyrical deep dive that is badass. Yeah, not going to want to miss that. It's exciting. New song is out. Um, so please, everyone, go check that out and uh, please enjoy it. And please enjoy the lyrical deep dive. Those lyrics are ones that are very much embedded in the right guy's lore for me in terms of my writing process and how I finally got that song out. It was a very cathartic process coming out of um, many years of writer's block and having the right guy's curriculum help me uh, get that one out on the page. So super proud to talk about it here. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we are going in, we, we, as always, we review the challenges. We have uh, four graduates of the Right Guys curriculum as of now, uh, which is super exciting. That's, they, have, they have submitted five times in a row um, and completed the challenge successfully five times. And uh, not to mention that, uh, they did this at, at a tough spot where... Uh, we started this trilogy thing, so they have also taken a story that started with one word, a one word concept, grew it to fifty words, then grew that to five hundred words, and then grew that to a thousand words. Yeah, uh, and we're gonna give everybody a spotlight on that that was able to to complete it. So, yeah, yeah. and we do have th we have three people who have fully definitely three. completed the curriculum. Yes, one has three graduates pretty much completed it. And then we have a fifth one that is like on hold pending this final submission. Right, so right. It's complex, but we're going to get into that in the episode. Yeah. So we'll, talk we'll get into about that. It. And then we end up with, the, with a, uh, um, a, a very dreamy uh, new challenge that you'll have to stick around to see what I mean by that. Yeah. So everyone, please stick around and enjoy uh, our, our theme song, animated theme song we're about to go into. The Right yeah, Guys baby. Right Guys universe keeps kicking. And so uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. let's spin it, boys. <laughs> All right, let's go. Right Guys episode 12. All right, hey, you know what? Let's just get it. Let's go. Let's go do it. <laughs> <laughs> episode 12 wham here we go <laughs> episode 12. hello hello Welcome everybody back. hello it's an episode dozen <laughs> it's, been, it's been a little bit of a, a little bit of a break we, we yeah. a little extended thing but hey mm -hmm. that happens yeah it's been a while and it's been i guess like the 
three weeks for everyone, pretty much. Like yeah, yeah, three weeks. Wow, a lot has happened, and a lot has been on our mind, but we have to go through it quickly because there's too much to do in this episode. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. have we have the end of the trilogy uh, challenge coming up that has just been incredible, and we don't want anyone to miss spotlight time on this who has no, stuck don't. with it from from all three episodes to now. So <laughs> we have we're trying to we're trying to save a chunk in the yeah in sticking with us. Some marathon runners with yeah. us, uh, and so I want to. Well, we want everyone to get the get a little spotlight on that. So uh, we're gonna we're saving a, a chunk of time for the very end, so we can go over those. But uh, without further ado, can you just tell me what's on your mind, man? Me, okay. you. So the uh, I guess like to maybe narrow it down to because there's just like so much stuff has happened. Um, I'm told the show that I'm most into right now um is this show called uncut uncut gem it's not uncut gems it's called righteous gemstones righteous gemstones yeah yes. you know this yeah. show i do They're, i do yeah i've seen like two episodes so far it's so good <laughs> it is it's so good and it's like what julia pointed out to me at the end of the first season and i won't give any spoilers or anything but she said this show is the opposite of don't look up. Um, and it was not a comment about like the plot or the content. It was a comment about the writing, which is why I wanted to like bring this mm. idea in and talk about it. Cause like, um, it's like in, in terms of satire, in terms of like taking a topic that is controversial or political and turning it into comedy. Uh, like, so righteous gemstones is about, uh, like the mega church, like corporate mm -hmm. Christian, like corruption. Um, yeah. And a lot like don't look up. It's, it's about kind of like a, a there's like this left versus right issue. That's um, sort of like politic, very much like, but like politicized right now in our world. And it's like being taken sort of by, by the left wing media pretty much to like lampoon the right wing <laughs> in a uh -huh. way is like what both of the things are doing, but with, with don't look what, up, whatever they say is going to be just slamming the other one. Doesn't it, it's yeah. always just going to well, be the opposite. Well, that's the, that's the thing. It's <laughs> like both movies are about, both things are about topics to do that. And that's what don't look up is. That's actually not what righteous gemstones is <laughs> like. It's like righteous gemstones is like, they take that topic and they go like as far away from, just like they're they're not just painting any topic as black and white it's like it's actually like very like they're not like necessarily realistic characters because they're funny characters but they're like they're really consistent and they are sort of like deep and lived in characters when you get to know them and it's not like every christian in, in the show is bad they're right. not like they're not like just lampooning the other side. They're like, there are good Christians in the show who like yeah. are actually trying to stand up for doing the right thing. And you come to find as you watch the show, it's like, they're just trying to tell like the most realistic and like intense and like truthful story. 
and it's like very uh, it's it it like sneaks up on you because it feels like a satire but mm-hmm. it's like it's it's like uh i don't know like what to compare it to it's a lot like arrested development sometimes um where it's a cast of very hateable characters that you like can come to like love certain things about them or like at least the way that the enemy of your enemy is your friend (laughs) yeah um or or there's so much bad painted on them that the second that you see like a little vulnerability it's it it's kind of exaggerated in a way and you're like oh wow yeah hey there's something on hey they they grow maybe all of this is wrong to keep you on the hook yeah 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 but i i love the show i think it's excellent hell yeah yeah that's great i watched uh i watched wandavision oh that show's good and dang that was creative yeah. like so cool i love I lo- I, i'm pretty blown away by um i've just i've seen lately i've seen some very creative approaches and it's it's and that's one of them that's just kind of like expanded my mind for storytelling and how how you can unpack something and i loved like how it started out so it starts out so just uh just tongue in cheek you know leave it to beaver and everything but then there's 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 like just one little thing is off but it just makes it feel so wrong whenever it is and then they kind of like gradually move you in it's just like oh my god and then uh somehow also working in like this very human uh struggle story you know, an identity uh, struggle and all this. And I don't know, I just, I, that I was, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Got through we, that one. Was that just in the, in the last three weeks? Yeah, yeah. I started it, I watched it in like three days. Oh, great. And I'm slowly but surely chipping away at the Dragon Ball Z saga. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Did he get to Namek yet? Oh, he's, uh, yeah, he's finally on Namek. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Are we still on the ten, fifteen minute trip since our last at right guys episode. Yeah. <laughs> ten minutes. Oh man, I'm gonna be there in ten minutes. Better get ready. <laughs> Standing there. Three weeks pass. Almost there. <laughs> uh but no, I think I'm on like episode like seventy eight or something. Um and even that, like I I've I've been noticing now like some like character development that's been really cool. Like I never really uh grasped how awesome Vegeta's arc is Mm. and and like how cool of a a character he is and he's a villain but he's not a villain yeah it's like I it's just yeah that everyone's everyone's kind of developing a little bit and like I like having him have this perspective where he realizes that that Goku is a super saiyan before Goku realizes that he's a super saiyan and I don't know. It's just, just, just like little things that as I'm paying attention now are just like expanding, expanding my mind a little. It's good. Yeah. They, that series always had one of my favorite, um, sort of matrix matrices of like character arcs of like villains versus heroes of like, like pretty much everyone who's like a hero in the show has been a villain at some point. Yeah. Besides like a couple core cast members, but it's like, Piccolo was like the villain of Dragon Ball. Yeah. Right? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and Piccolo is one of my, one of my, whenever I was growing up, he was like one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then like seeing seeing his transformation and then understanding who he is because I saw all I when I when I was back when I was a kid I saw him all out of order, um and you just left to piece together like this yeah. is how, this was how network television was yeah like the exactly kids these days might not understand yeah <laughs> you're, yeah you're we're, just... we're, every episode basically has to be standalone because yeah. no one's gonna see him in order. Back in, like, the late 80s, Micah was piecing together, like, artifacts of, like, different episodes <laughs> yeah. of Dragon Balls. He had a wall. He had a corkboard on his wall. Yeah. I with, had, like, I had string. Yeah. Going between, like, Goku and Namek. And he's like, 10 minutes? And <laughs> how, does it, how, how does it make sense? You've seen, like, five episodes at different points that all fall into this one road trip. Does this 100x gravity? Uh, trigger a time displacement is that what they're trying to talk about here uh correlating it to uh to interstellar like seeing like are there ties here i don't know <laughs> you, you somehow knew about interstellar here yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh yeah the, the other thing that that it's really been uh it's a really good study for is power levels and like breaking the ceiling like it is just constantly setting a new ceiling and then destroying it and then is setting that, a new ceiling. Is that something to emulate, or is that like a? I think so, because like it makes it like every time, like you know, when you first hear is like, oh my god, his power level is over nine thousand. Nine thousand? No way! And then like, and then and then it's like now now the power levels are at like. I don't know, like five hundred thousand, and but now yeah, but he's like, about to go Super Saiyan. Okay, okay, because I'm not just like trying to shit on Dragon Ball Z because I think Dragon Ball Z is awesome, and but but I think yeah. there's something like that we need to dig into that's happening here because I don't think it is awesome to just keep saying and then they get stronger and then they get strong. Like I think that that actually sucks. But Dragon Ball did something crazy where they they pulled it off. Like, I, I know. Think, I think how they pulled it off is like everything, though. Like, and I, and I don't know how because I haven't watched all the show, but like well, I love like the essence of it, and I and the the parts that I've seen, I've seen the Majin Buu saga. Those yeah. parts are great. Like them getting stronger and reaching, <laughs> breaking new limits is amazing. Well, the whole like Saiyan idea of like if it doesn't kill you, you're just gonna come back stronger. And like, like that's what like like when Saiyans Saiyans grow from battle, and so you've got like two different, you've got you've got all these different things going on, and you've got Vegeta who is in the trench just getting his ass kicked, be, becoming like near death, uh, all the time, and then you've got, and then you've got Goku who's training himself to death, like, like almost almost killing himself multiple times where like if he couldn't crawl and get a sensu bean he's donezo. Well, that's having the same effect on both of them. So they're both growing in their power, but they also, this is all happening before their next encounter. And so like, while this is happening on either sides, you've got your other characters experiencing people who are way, who are, who are way more powerful than either of them were last time they saw them. Yeah. So you've dude, got I the never, perspective. This is blowing my mind. I never knew that about Saiyans. Yeah. So now yeah. it makes a lot that, of sense. That's the same, the same with me though. Like, like I'm actually 
like being analytical on it and like like okay i want to know everything here and yeah. and like and Digging just paying attention lore. yeah and that's not even like hidden anywhere that thing is yeah. just like <laughs> sit, sitting out there in the open but i'm like oh that makes sense and then i'm yeah. like thinking about i'm thinking about goku and how how he trains like like throughout the first couple seasons of of dbz he's like in the hospital like he's uh he's like on on the verge of death and everything mm -hmm. but he always comes back stronger and vegeta on the other hand is doing his it, they're kind of like they're kind of leveling at the same rate um but uh but the people but they're also separated as they do this from from your other cast of characters where you get a uh, where you get kind of a perspective on the world and new bad guys that are entering they they seem to encounter them first uh and you're like oh my god these guys are are they, they broke their scanners they're that powerful like there's no way and even the characters are like are like this guy's 10 times more powerful than Goku or whatever and then you don't get to see you just see that they're doing a lot of work, but you don't get to see their new abilities until they discover them in battle type thing. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you're watching it through the eyes of one of these other character bystanders and their mind's getting blown and your mind's getting blown. But also, we know the story of Dragon Ball Z and we know like how long they take to do a build up, and we know that they're going to be... Con there's, they're just going to get more powerful. We know that now. But when you're first watching it through, you don't. And so, yeah. like, I don't know. It's just really cool. Like, it's something I'm trying to, in the in the idea of like, like painting gray on stuff. Like, I I whenever I create a weapon or a character with a power, like, I I give too much of it away so fast, and uh, it kind of ends up being like the golden gun, you know. And I'm like, I don't know where to go from this. I don't know how to make a challenge on this. I don't know how to uh how to build up to this like if i know that i want this person to start out with this axe and i want it to be a shitty like lumber axe or something but i want it to turn into this you know like half demon you know whatever 10 foot battle axe that can transform or whatever uh i don't like like getting there to where it's interesting maybe it has like five different progressions to that but making each progression interesting you know mm -hmm. that's like savoring the growth i guess yeah i think like being able to show it like with something numerical like power levels obviously is like helps i think what 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 you see here is that they they took an idea like pa like powering up that yeah. is like prevalent in shonen right just everywhere it's like just part of this type of storytelling um what is shonen like boy manga oh okay <laughs> like it's okay. like yeah. action manga but like there's almost always a mad main character with the sword who's mysterious who kills big monsters and like they're usually yes. like don't have too many speaking lines but they're kind of a badass or snarky and they like so there's like these thousand tropes for shonen right mm -hmm. but it's sort of like with tropes and um you oftentimes get like i like talking about the soul series with this like they take the, a video game trope um sort of like in 
in a lot of their games they're like taking taking one idea or one trope and then like expanding on it like in dark souls it's like the idea of respawning in games um they open that up and that's what the plot of the game is it's like why you respawn and yeah. that is explained in the game and and you don't have to do mental math when your character dies and it says game over and you click continue and you load your file that's it's part of the world yeah and uh like they by integrating it um in the plot it it, it does something to your brain to make it m- less um taxing like like dying and respawning in a souls game doesn't feel as debilitating as dying and respawning in a game where you're not supposed to die right right because for a million reasons they didn't design the game around that happening and in a in a million shonen you you have characters power up but they didn't design the show around that happening they didn't roll out the red carpet for that to be the feature that's really detailed and like shown to you that 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 there was an ABC and logic to it and reasoning. And when any show takes that thing to be its um, ground that it's standing on to be, it's like, this is my battleground. This is where I'm going to make my stand on this territory of like power ups. I'm going to do the work here and make this part of the story make sense. Then that part is going to be able to be satisfying probably. Yeah. Um, And it's like respawns not, being annoying in dark souls being able to Mm -hmm. to die a thousand times and have that just feel like it's part of the game um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that is is interesting taking a taking a trope and then but showcasing it and and like breaking it up into something that makes sense justifying it yeah that's a cool challenge Mm -hmm. that would be that'd be a cool challenge to have one day yeah justify a trope yeah yeah i like that well, what else? Uh, what else been on your mind? I had a birthday. I'm 37 now. My birthday was Easter. Congrats! Yeah. Wow. So I did a bunch of uh, birthday stuff, uh, and I got uh, I got buddy tats with Shane. We got bloodborne tattoos. <laughs> I saw the wasted skin. <laughs> yeah. Can you show it off? Can we get an angle? Yeah, man. Yeah. So I got a threaded cane, waste of skin. Here. Oh, can you see that? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. So that's the threaded cane, and it's it's transformed. Obviously, it's whipping around, and then it says "waste of skin" right there. Yeah, pretty sick. He got saw cleaver, so we got we got the um, our first uh, the weapon that we did our first playthrough with, and uh, and then we got waste of skin because that was the like. Like our our shared trauma of beating <laughs> it as a waste can't of believe, skin. <laughs> still can't believe you beat the game with the threaded cane, <laughs> dude. And that was first time when I had no idea what the game was about. I think I also leveled arcane. <laughs> well, it has cane in the name. <laughs> yeah, it says like arcane, and, and the stronger. cane has the cane arcane or uh, the cane has like descaling in arcane. So I was like, oh, I gotta level that. Also, I didn't use any items because I was. I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna need these, and <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. Like, like th- yeah. that was. But you that said was, you had played Souls already. No, I had played. I I didn't know that they were they were connected. Uh, wait, hold on. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we played Dark Souls, the first one, mm-hmm. just on a random game night. Shane picked it up at GameStop, I think, for like 20 bucks. Right. And he was like, hey, we got to try this. And I heard it's really hard. And we we tried it, and we were like, this is ridiculous. Then later, like, didn't really come back to it. Oh, you and, didn't? Okay. I thought you beat that before Bloodborne, but no. No, 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 no. I beat, like, a couple bosses, and then we would just, like, play Call of Duty or something like that. And uh, and then later, uh, I was I was looking for a new game, and yeah. I was I like typed in "difficult bloody game," and uh, and and dark and Bloodborne came up, and I was like, "Oh, this looks sick!" And I was also I was looking for like a vampire game, and it kind of looked like a vampire game, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm into this." Um, I'm proud of you for not choosing the Order of 1886. Yeah, <laughs> or whatever came that out. That one like, popped up. Week. <laughs> that one popped up. Instead of this this game called Vampire, yeah. uh, but I ended up going Bloodborne, and uh, yeah, dude, and then and I just stumbled in. I was like, "Ooh, Threaded Cane, that's a sick idea." Did that, and I was like, "This game is impossible." <laughs> and, and I remember after playing it for a while, and I told Shane, "I was like, dude, you got to get into this." Uh, this this is the game. This is what got him into consoles because he wasn't. A, he was only PC guy, and I was like, "You got to wow. play this game. You got to get into this." And uh, and finally he did. And I remember like uh, the first thing that he the first thing that he grabbed when when he was over not his first playthrough, but just his first time to play it. He just selected the hunter's axe. And I remember he went in and he was like one shotting everything right off the get go. And I'm I'm just sitting there like, what? I was like, this is insane. You, these guys take me like five hits to kill. Like what? what? Oh my god! And that's when I realized threaded cane is probably the hardest way you can go through for your first playthrough. Yeah, it's really rough. I chose but, it as my first weapon as well. But nice. It was like. After Blood Starved Beast, I was like, I cannot use this goddamn cane anymore. And I just found Dude. something else. And it's got serrated when it's transformed. So you had its bonus on Blood Starved Beast. Yeah. <laughs> it still doesn't help. No, it wasn't good enough. There's so many oh, good weapons man. in that game. <laughs> I know, dude. But anyway, I had to stick true with it. Yeah, and, good uh, job. Thanks, man. And then our, our, our tattoo artist pointed out, she was like, uh, she was like, "What does waste of skin mean?" And we we're like, "Well, it's Bloodborne. It's a sick game. It's the, kind of the hardest way you can play it." So, you know, we both we both did it, and we we're like bragging about it. She was like, "It's it's also funny because it's kind of like you're wasting skin on a Bloodborne tattoo." <laughs> I was like, we we're like, okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, but yeah, then that went camping and. Now I feel celebrated. I was going to go skydiving, but it was too windy. They canceled it. Wowee. Yeah. Was that supposed to be part of the camping trip? No, that was that was just like an that was like another little You've birthday got... thing I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Wild wild birthday times, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's fun stuff. Yeah. You're 10 years older than me now. How about that? You weren't before. You're a different Man. number of years older than me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, that's crazy. Yeah. Anyway. What's the view like from 27 right now? Um, auspicious. Auspicious. Good word. 
there's one for you right guys back home word of the day <laughs> word there. of the day auspicious um and i also have had this whole kind of relationship going with um this little student-run music label yes at this school up in new haven they've got me they've got me running they've got me running my own social media campaigns now <laughs> <laughs> they made a schedule of posts for me to sometimes do dude and, that's uh, cool and so we are releasing a song i've been like teasing it building up to it the song releases tomorrow as a recording so as of release the song released, as of like, recording five days ago probably when this video comes out whatever last friday was gotcha the song's out it's called new england um and I would love to do a lyrical deep dive with you guys here today. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to go listen to the song, uh, you can feel free to go and do that right now. Um, Micah, would you like to take a listen before we go in or should I just go right in? I want to go right in, but I want to, I want to have the lyrics to read. Okay. So, um, this song is called new England. Um, this, this song just has kind of a cool like history with the right guys because um, this was one that uh, the I, the first idea for this song came to me in around the end of um, like 2018 um, and it was just the first line of the song I just heard um, like I well I got the melody so that was all I knew of the song mm -hmm. I had the line when I wake up I'll be headed for New England and I wonder why I ever left again I don't want to sing it over the melody because um we might get copyright claimed now that this is out yeah or so um this uh uh that was all I had. When I wake up, I'll be headed for New England and I'll wonder why I ever left again. And so that concept was just like, um, I, I didn't know what that could really be leading up to or meaning like logically. Like what is this scenario where someone right. is in their head saying, when I wake up, <laughs> so they're asleep, when right. I wake up. Or, or, like, it's the night or it's the night before. Yeah, when I wake up, I'll be headed for this destination and at the point that i wake up i'll i'll be under the impression that i i want to go i'll be like i wonder why i ever left again but it but it, this is obviously leading up to a but and so why do i now have the foresight and and i will after that point realize mm. um and so like like what's this this moment in time that i've convinced myself that i'll and so I like that was just like obviously I just had this one line for the song and the melody and obviously I could change the line if I wanted to but it just felt like the words were perfect for the melody it felt like it would be really wrong to change it and mm -hmm. I wanted to figure out what it was trying to say and so pretty much I just had that line in my pocket for three years um, yeah and so that's that like a good one it burned a, time it, to cook it burned a <laughs> hole in my head it's like I, I had, I, I would sing that line to myself, like in the shower, just like weekly. Like it, it's funny yeah. because like voice memos is a thing that like, 
I, I value my voice memos so much, but it's almost oh, like same. just as much a way to get something off my mind as it is to keep something on my mind. It's like, same. if I have something and it's like, I have no way of knowing if this is good right now, I can just put it in a voice memo and then listen back to it in like a week. And I don't have to think about it or like, remember it. If I had to write it to memory, the time I come up with it, if I had to fully write it to memory and commit it to memory, I would never have a way to know if it was good after that because I yes. would never be able to hear it with fresh ears. I would never be able to hear it. I would only be able to have created it. And so it's like um, the voice memo is like for something like New England, if if it's an idea that's going to stick, the voice, I never even listened. I had to go back as a prank for myself like a week, two, two weeks ago to go find the dang voice memo from three years ago. Just to be like, look, I do have one. But it's like, obviously, <laughs> what's even the point of having had it? If right. I had, have had if it, it, if my... it just stayed with you <laughs> yeah. anyway, you weren't yeah. able to put it down. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, it's funny. So I have this old voice memo and, and it's just like... Ha- it more than any other project that I've done for right guys, this was the one that was like something happened to me <laughs> that like I can now write where I couldn't before because like literally awesome. something that had been eating me for three years, like something I was actively trying to just write the next part of it was like, this was my sort of canonical experience after going through the right guys curriculum, sitting down maybe for the second time, I'd had one kind of breakthrough, fully wrote a full song on its own that wasn't really anything written before. Um, And then I was like, man, if I could like take one of those old songs that I loved that I only had one line of and finish it, what would I want to do? And so I just pulled out New England and I was like, what would the next line be? If it was like the coolest line it was going to be, I was just like, wonder why I ever left again. Um, But by the evening... But by the evening, right? So so then you say by sometime, but by the evening, I'd be like storming on the docks, like chucking rocks and dark thoughts out into the bay. And I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of perfect. So um, this song sort of just started writing itself after that point. And the lines were, I've tweaked them. um, But for the most part, these are just the lines that were the first line that I wrote. If it wasn't the first line I wrote, then it was like what my brain was actually trying to say the first time. And like, I caught the rocky facade of it. And like, sometimes it wasn't saying right away by the evening, I'll be stormy on the docks of old bar Harbor, chucking rocks and dark thoughts out into the bay. Like that was like when it was like, yeah, that was what it was trying to say the whole time. It was coming through garbled. And so I would get these, like, it would be like, but by the evening, I'll be on the docks chucking rocks and thought, and it's like, you just have to just massage it until yeah. you find the, what it was trying to say to you. And it's like, that's, that's what was coming through so clearly, but I just couldn't like piece it all together at the yeah. time. And, uh, so I pretty much, I'll go through this now. And this was, I mean like, yeah, like, so like I said, all very massaged into place, but so about like how long ago did you, did you pick this up and start, working on it again like uh like you 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 mentioned how like during right guys you, you yeah you decided to pick it up and like i when... believe it was like some night in in january okay yeah in, in nice. mid-january it was pretty much one night um i got through the whole thing yeah that's awesome <laughs> uh and i yeah i i think after that point i i only changed one line nice that first night 
Yeah. All right, so I'll go. Yeah, the Teravangian moment where you just. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, it feels like, I mean, I've described it on the podcast before. It's, you're just showing up to be there for when it happens. Like, there's nothing I can do differently besides having had the engine going. Right. And then sitting down and being present for an evening to just Mm -hmm. capture words as they're flying past me at 100 miles per hour. To just yep. reach out and be like, oh, crap, that one before it goes. <laughs> and honestly, that not that a much more constructive way to to think about writing time? You know, sitting down to write, getting chair time in. It's like, oh, I want to I show up and be present for inspiration to come. Yeah. Because if I don't, then it, it won't. Yeah. But if I do, there's a chance for it to happen. If I, if I do and it doesn't happen... Yeah, I showed up. Yeah. The volume um, it has to reach to get my attention if I'm out on the street not paying attention to it is pretty pretty damn high. So yeah. like, if I'm at home and I'm like it can be very low volume stuff coming through the that's, frequency bands. Yeah, and, that's a that's a good way to think of it too. Yeah. Like you have an idea forming and it's got a it's got a hit if it's going to if, if it's going to like inspire you to sit down and write it down in the moment while you're being distracted and pulled in a million different ways, but sitting down and and committing to that time to just push everything aside and hone into those frequencies. Yeah. It doesn't have to be nearly as loud. And I I like that. It's very good imagery. All right. So speaking of imagery, do you want to read it or do you want me to read it apart and then you tell me about it? Uh, (laughs) that could be fun. (laughs) Let's do it. Sure. Okay. When I wake up, I'll be headed for new England and I'll wonder why I ever left again. But by the evening, I'll be stormy on the docks of Old Bar Harbor, chucking rocks and dark thoughts out into the bay. Yeah. So this is just an image of, you know, it's a pretty easily understood, like the chucking rocks and dark thoughts obviously is a little bit of a poetic, just equating, just chucking to thought. But But I also like, I also like the word you you chose stormy as a word. And you think about like harbors and stormy and docks yeah. and everything. Like I think that, that paints a really nice picture. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that was one of the that that word got tweaked more than anything else in the whole stormy. Song. Yes, um, it stands out. I love it. It's, it and it fits so well. Yeah, th- there was a lot of other <laughs> options, and the I think that one ultimately captured the most of what I wanted to do. Um, yeah, was considering something like haunting. Um, but Stormy's it, better. It, it, it is. It it, it, it it totally paints a color. Like I just, you're brewing, you know, like and and you're and you're and you're at this on this dock in this harbor. Is is Old Bar Harbor? Is that a place? Is that a real place? Bar Bar Harbor is yeah. Okay, gotcha. It's my favorite, like my favorite, like place in like, <laughs> like it's almost like my favorite place as yeah. as a place. Um, and that's sort of its significance in. The whole like there's there's not I would say one thing that this song is um, about. It's not like a a story about me that is true, but I would say this song follows the pattern of all my songs recently. That like microscopically everything is one hundred percent true. It's like you can zoom in on any line, and there's no line that isn't informed by my experience. Um, Right. These are all parts of who I am, and I've sort of gone full circle on this. Like I used to think I would only write fiction and now i think like i can't write anything that isn't 
Somewhat nonfiction, true. just like yeah. autobiographical. <laughs> and like I uh this this song, like all my songs, is is not about anything or any actual situation. It's just pretty much about me. <laughs> but like it's all these things are the concepts as they relate to me kind of, and that's like what Bar Harbor sort of is. It. Yeah. It's, it's like it's this place that in itself as a place is almost totally perfect. And it's where if I could imagine anywhere that I would go to seek comfort from a location, it might be that place. And so that being somewhere that I would find myself um, trying to seek comfort and not yeah. being able to find it would be especially distressing. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Um, uh, feels like each attempt I make to try to hide myself gives way to find the imp- emptiness that I was running from. Yeah, so uh, this is like the dark thoughts. So this is what I'm chucking okay. out into the bay. Chucking rocks and dark thoughts out in the bay. Feels like each attempt I make to try to hide myself gives way to find the emptiness that I was running from. Right. So like if you can imagine on the bay, this is like the the dark stormy energy that I'm sending out. Um mm-hmm. and so this was I like this is a concept that's kind of just like the, the classic phrase. Like it's like uh running away from the emptiness inside or like the and I I was trying to capture that uh that essence, but uh what I wanted to do was set up the next line in the song, which I think is like the sort of the main hook and the main line and theme of the song, uh, which is every tool I take becomes a crutch. Mm. Um, and so what I wanted to do was have that be the first line of kind of like a set of lines, but to have it already rhyme. So it feels really satisfying when it comes and so mm. there's this part before where I start to jumble the rhymes into smaller sections so that I can create a satisfying rhyme scheme and then also end with a new rhyme scheme being set up for the follow-up line, which mm. is the first line of a new stanza. So the, okay. the way I, I chopped it up is um, feels like each attempt I make to try to hide myself gives way to find. So there's a lot of uh, rhymes in there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so like each attempt, each attempt make to try high myself way to find. Uh-huh. And then um, emptiness fo- follows into the same pattern of rhythm of like, so, so there's a few things going on here. There's like the fact that the syllables are creating a pattern, but then there's like, they're falling at the same time in this, like pretty much arbitrary, but then repeated to the mm-hmm. point where it makes you feel like something is happening. Um, so it feels like each attempt I make to try to hide myself gives way to find the emptiness that I was running from. And every tool I take becomes a crutch. So then the crutch rhymes with from. Mm-hmm. And to me, it feels satisfying. Um, so that's the idea of what I was trying to do. Yeah, rhythmically, it falls in the same hole, right? From and crutch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What uh, when it's when you say uh, to hide myself gives way to find the emptiness that I was running from. Like, does that have to do with moving, heading back 
to New England? Like when you headed headed for New England, are you running from that emptiness? Yeah, I think I think so. I think it's like that. It's it's this whole story is all about sort of one thing happening, and all these things are kind of the same thing. So like that makes running, sense. Like like you're running from this emptiness, and you end up at old 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 bar harbor where you want to find solace but you're stormy because all those dark thoughts are still there and you're just yeah. trying to chuck them into the bay yeah and <clears throat> and then every tool i take becomes a crutch and so like this is a dark thought but it's also a dark thought about what's happening right now because that's what's on my mind while i'm here and it's every the same. tool i take like what tools yeah so the crutch here is new england um, ah. it's like is is if if it's something that I go back to time and time again for comfort till the point that it just becomes nothing, right? It's not giving you comfort anymore. It's just a it's just a habit, like a pain response. Yeah. Um. So, and this line is, like I said, sort of the main idea in the song, and it's the main thing that I guess in the song. I could say is, is really true about me. Um, this is just one that like I've found in my life time mm -hmm. and time again. And it's like with small things and big things. And I th do think it is a, it is a universal human experience. Like I think it's one of those things like the, the lying song in a way that yeah. I can, I can take and be like, Hey, anyone else feel like they're lying all the time? And it's like, Yes, and people do feel like that, and people do feel like I think every. Why is it every time I I take a tool and try to like work it into my system, I end up like overusing it or like yeah, and, and or, or or just try to rely on it. And I've just yeah. found in 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 my life so constantly, and and in ways I've been able to contrast myself to other people where I find it's not true for everyone. Uh, it is always I find in in a lot of ways true for yeah. me, like. Uh, video games is a big one. Like I, I, I talk about this with m one of my friends a lot. Like, uh, so my friend Sawyer, when he plays a game, he engages with all the systems very fully and intentionally. So we like talks about this. Yeah. If there's a new combo that gets introduced, then he like thinks about that and he works it into like incorporating it to me there's a second layer of challenge in every game of beating the game only using basic attack. Same. And it's like, if I, can, it's it, so annoying. It, yeah. But it, I, I find myself just stuck to it. I find, I, I think what I've identified it in myself is like, as, as Ben, as a human, I, the way I operate in the world is like, I think there's this like sort of fundamental way to do things with my body that doesn't require outside help or tools or resources and if I can learn the fundamental way to do something and master that, then I'll be good because I won't be relying on other like tools or resources. Yeah. I can just solve problems on my own with the most basic tools available to me. It's like an instinct that I've learned throughout my life to better myself in the way. And I think there are, are a lot of areas of life that that uh, attitude like that can benefit you. It's sort of a frugal mindset in a lot of ways, but then it, it can be just the opposite. It can yeah. be like extremely it's completely isolating. If you're just basically <laughs> you beating cut yourself against, off from resources and help. 
beating against a door with a bloody stump of a wrist instead of learning how to turn a doorknob. It's like there are some lessons that just make sense for efficiency to learn. Somewhere my brain has it hardwired that the most efficient way is always the most basic way. And uh, so that's like, I I think that may be part of what's happening. I was talking to another friend, Sky, um, and he, uh, he was telling me something about mental models how everything as a human, your brain is like an algorithm and everything that you do and see is getting put through the same algorithm. Uh And so like he was telling me maybe one of the main things that separates us from chimps is like are putting everything into this one category. It's what allows us the bandwidth for like all other aspects of like self-awareness and thought is just that everything we interact with in the world we're actually interacting with a mental model of it. Like mm-hmm. you can look at something and then close your eyes and have just as clear of an image of it and sort of interact with it in your head in the same way you'd be interacting with it. In, even if you reach out and touched it, your brain would create this like filter that you're not even aware of. Yeah. You're actually only interacting with your idea of that thing. <laughs> I've, I've heard that described as, as, as your, as personal paradigms as well, mm. where, uh, basically, you have this paradigm. Th- these 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 paradigms established in your mind from 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 a kid when you, when you were developing and how the world works and how you work in it and how things respond to you and your impact and all this stuff like that and where your power is where your power is not uh, and and like as we grow like a healthy person continues to grow their paradigms but as as you get older like you get there there are so many going on that there there's it's easy for some to get Mm -hmm. just neglected and then you find yourself and and a lot of times when you find yourself just going in circles where you're like i'm running away from something i don't know what i'm running away from i don't even know how to stop thinking about doing this it's probably a neglected paradigm that hasn't been addressed it hasn't been updated to the newest version of Mm how how you should understand the world now yeah operating system updates <laughs> yeah i ignored that update because i didn't want it to slow me down baby <laughs> and then i'm like damn it i should have updated that yeah that's uh it's something i'm i'm actually currently working on a couple different paradigms yeah so i think this crutch thing is like kind of the, it's 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 very similar to that idea um and it's it's I, I think that the experience of, of having 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 things become ubiquitous or having things become all the same, having things become I don't know. I was talking to that idea. I was talking to, to that idea. I was talking to Sky about that idea. And it really got me thinking about this lyric in this song, so I wanted to bring it up there. Um nice. and talk about it with that. I think that's part of creating making tools into crutches i don't know i'm an idiot okay just let me <laughs> no just let me do the lyrics <laughs> no 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 no. I, I i love that all right so uh so yeah so so you running away is the tool here uh and that's become a crutch and you because i use it way too much and now i'm walking with no legs yeah and it's like it's this and this so you're an autopilot it's, basically it's both talking about this particular situation and just griping about you know, I'm so sad. Look at how yeah. sad my life. It's like the whole. It's 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 the whole it's, thing. And and even yeah, this one very much broadly 
looking at my life, looking out, realizing um, this is what this line is. Yeah, uh, every tool I take becomes a crutch because I used it way too much, and now I'm walking with no legs, like just all crutches, and I'm oh, just yeah. walking. I, I okay, have, I, I see. Like, I, I have, I have all these tools at my disposal, right? Like to the point where if a person this jacked up on with this many resources should be like flying through the air at like three thousand <laughs> miles per hour. Like I have so <laughs> so much at like effort and resources put into my ability to just walk <laughs> for your normally slow wobble locate from point a on the dock to point <laughs> b on the dock is because yeah. of how many crutches i have just to be standing up straight i see it i see it okay all right so moving on we've got uh but when i wake up oh so this is this is course again but when I wake up, I'll be ready for New England. So yeah, oh. there's no, there's not really choruses or it's just like this song just goes. <laughs> okay, Sorry. but when I wake up, I'll be ready for New England, and I'll promise myself I can keep my head. Then somewhere out between the highway mile markers and Bar Harbor, it'll hit me how alone I really am. Yeah. So this is sort of a rephrase. I mean, like the song repeats like halfway through. It's like yeah. a sort of like a stanza but um in my head I, lo- just... I love doing this I, I do this a lot where I'll, I'll put the same thing but i'll just change a couple things yeah. throughout it and it makes it it's the same thing but it means something a little different this time yeah exactly so it's like a, a different image um of what that journey is like like i i, I sort of when i hear the song the way the melody is and the way um it feels like it just feels like a driving song like it feels like a track like it feels like early morning fog like uh somber tone just mm. and so i i wanted the imagery of like travel of things like highway mile markers yeah um being in there it just feels very much of like the vibe that i want to be creating impressionistically yeah uh, you're out, out alone on the road and it hits you yeah exactly yeah i mean i i that's that's one of those things i feel like everyone can relate to just being out there and then just being like i'm it's just me Mm -hmm. and all right so and all the vistas freeze the distant peaks and autumn trees are all reduced to pixels passing through the h through the hud yeah the hud the hud um so this same like like we were saying how it kind of like repeats halfway through if you look halfway up um there's a part this is kind of repeating where i'm trying to fit that extra rhyme scheme in to set up a rhyme with crutch and i do the same thing here and so the rhyme that i create is like a there's just a trio it's like it happens three times um vistas freeze distant peaks autumn trees Uh uh-huh uh so it's like a near so vistas freeze distant peaks is like a for the, all the the vowels it's like a perfect like three syllable right rhyme between those three and autumn trees is close it's one one of the syllables is off um and then are all reduced to pixels passing through the hud and then hud is to rhyme with crutch crutch um, yeah and obviously the sort of what this line means looking at it is like a hud is a heads-up display so mm-hmm. like um as you're driving uh out between the highway mile markers and bar harbor and it hits hits me how alone i really am all the vistas freeze distant peaks and autumn trees like 
just seeing a visual of them go from just the full HD clarity of real life into becoming like a pixelated, like fake thing that I'm seeing through a monitor, essentially just representing a separation from reality, like looking at something mm. through a screen. Yeah, um, getting that step back view of it where yeah. you kind of starting just, to filter it through all your feelings and stuff. Yeah, and like yeah. the heads up display of the human the human eye socket and the human body and all the other emotions mm -hmm. that are going on um and it's like the so yeah sorry right, and the, and it's like and it's like the moment that a tool becomes a crutch because i need you way too much and i can't see the world without you babe oh no yeah uh so that is again going back to the tool becoming a crutch but like changing it slightly um, mm -hmm. so instead of every tool I take becomes a crutch cause I use it way too much. The idea that now the person that the, all the sadness has been about in the song, um, it's like the moment that a tool becomes a crutch cause I need you way too much. Uh, right. And I can't see the world without you. That's the, another mm. thing that a crutch could, could be right. Is something that you, you're no longer able to, um, to just interact with the world in in your most basic fundamental way anymore without that thing right yeah like not having your crutch if if you are using a crutch to walk and then you no longer have it you can't walk anymore. you can't walk you can't if you're using it to see way. you can't see exactly yeah so um yeah so this so this is just saying that moment where i'm out between the highway mile markers and bar harbor and it hits me how alone i really am is the moment like the moment that a tool becomes a crutch because it's the moment that I needed you too much to be able to see the world anymore. Mm, mm, man. So at this point, it's like identifying the running away uh, from emptiness as a crutch, uh, run, running to New England as a crutch. And it's also like identifying uh, where you let, like where, where, where this, where, where this girl is, you know, in your life or who, who this, whoever this person is, has become like your crutch to the world, to seeing the world where you're like, without, without being able to run away from this, I don't know what I would do without you. I don't, I can't see the world. And it's kind of, I, and it's like the moment that a tool becomes a crutch, like kind of tying those two together, identifying two crutches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's sick. Yeah. Um, I don't want to fall in love. I don't want to fall. I, I don't want to follow us. Yeah. That was just kind of, it was one of the first, it was like over the years. Um, I think after I knew the first two lines of the song, that ending two lines was just another thing that came to me at one point that I, I knew kind of could go with this song. And, um, in the back of my head had it as a tag at the end. So then when I finally did write the song, I, I started lining it up at the end and I was like, Oh, there's a place for that. Nice. Um, so what, what does that mean? Like, what's the, you don't yeah, want to so follow Like, is that a decision or is that like a, 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 a it's, it's what, a voice it's, what, it's, it's, it's the, it's the reality that the character's interacting with at this moment uh, when the, the vistas have frozen, they can't even see the world anymore. It's like, I don't, I came here to, to fall in love with the beauty of the trees. I came here to forget about you because I love the world and nature, but I'm realizing I don't want to follow us. Mm. I don't want a future that I think nature is beautiful and I'm over you because like, Oh, it's cool. 
I don't uh, want to fall in love anymore. You don't want to, you don't want to fall in love with with nature. You want with to fall anything. in love with them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, got you. And I don't want to follow us. How does it's what the is same that? Thought. It's, I don't want. It's why I don't want to fall in love. Because oh, because I don't want to. Follow the I, I don't want any, anything to follow up. Yeah, the relationship. Nothing, you want nothing. the relationship. You don't want anything after that. Yeah, you want the ah, I don't yeah. yeah, hell yeah. I mean, I want to read it all the way through. Uh, or why don't you read it all the way through? Because you know the 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 rhyme schemes and cadences. When I wake up, I'll be headed for New England, and I'll wonder why I ever left again. But by the evening, I'll be stormy on the docks of Old Bar Harbor, chucking rocks and dark thoughts out into the bay. Feels like each attempt I make to try to hide myself gives way to find the emptiness that I was running from. And every tool I take becomes a crutch, because I use it way too much, and now I'm walking with no legs. But when I wake up, I'll be ready for New England, and I'll promise myself I can keep my head. Then somewhere out between the highway mile markers and Bar Harbor, it'll hit me how alone I really am. And all the vistas freeze, the distant peaks and autumn trees are all reduced to pixels passing through the HUD. And it's like the moment that a tool becomes a crutch, because I need you way too much and I can't see the world without you, babe. Oh no. I don't want to fall in love. I don't want to follow us. Mm. Beautiful, my man. That is New England by Ayumi. Out now. Go check it out. Thanks. And this is your... What number single is this for you? It's my second release on there. On Ayumi. Okay. Awesome. More to come soon. More to come soon. Awesome, man. Hell yeah. yeah. Well, that wraps up our our lyrical deep dive. Yeah, Um, thanks for listening. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing, man. Um, So I thought we could talk about the topic for a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. We got a topic here. It is, uh, we're going to be talking about, um, I'm going to try not to butcher this, uh, mise-en-scene. Yeah. <laughs> Did I say that right? That's pretty much. I mean, like now I'm embarrassed to try because I feel like you, you were really, you were kind of going for like the whole French accent, which, yeah, the mise-en-scene. <laughs> yeah, mise-en-scene. So um, you're familiar with this term. Uh, with film and theater and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what does it basically mean? The composition of the scene. So it's like what you have within the frame is how I learned it. So mm-hmm. mise-en-scene, I learned in the context of film. And we literally had up like a, a screenshot of an old Judy Garland movie where she's like seeing the world's fair. And like my professor's talking about how they're using the ivy on like the balcony railing around the edges of the frame, like the camera's positioned in a way so that it's thoughtfully framed. Obviously, right? yeah, you guys yeah. get it. But like yeah, they, yeah. the edges are like the there's ivy around the where the the edges of the cameras are. There's like there's flowers coming up at the bottom, which then goes. It's like a counterbalance to the tone of the sky. And he's uh-huh. talking about the colors. He's talking about the 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 shapes, just like how the people are creating like these shapes in the middle. And we go on to do a whole course where then he goes into a million other names for each of those fucking things. <laughs> and so I think mise-en-scene is like, it's a hundred other things. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, what it just the, the, what the tableau looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the way that I, that, that, I'm understanding it is 
Okay, so mise-en-scene is place on stage in English. Um, so basically like determining something's place on stage or its purpose on stage. Uh, mainly in film and theater, term used for meticulously dressing the stage and everything on it to convey the feel of the scene. Um, I also read away that, that, that it was put, uh, mise-en-scene, putting on stage, uh, is a wonderfully loose term that refers to the settings, the setting, scenery, and mood of a play or movie, as well as blocking and movement. When applied to literature, this term refers to the feel of a work expressed through setting, atmosphere, style, and in fiction, the story itself. Um, the, uh, I, like this, I, I heard about this this uh, concept or whatever you call it um, term um, being used kind of as a as a uh, as a literary exercise, transposing it to um, uh, to liter literature, and whereas in the theater and film uh, uh, areas uh, mm -hmm. that you've got. The things that, that go into mise-en-scene are the things that you think about are the set design. Um, it is uh, set, setting of a scene, the objects visible in a scene. Set design can be used to amplify character emotion or the dominant mood, which has physical, social, psychological, emotional, e economic, and cultural significance in the film. So what, what you put what set pieces are in there and what the set pieces look like and the condition of them. And, uh, like all of that can tell a story, uh, of it can, it can show a lot of story without having to tell a lot of story. Um, yeah. Also it can be juxtaposed to the character. If what's in the scene, what you're seeing in the scene is, is directly against something, you know, deeply about the character, um, so it can really like just the set design and a lot of this is, is obvious, but it's cool to break it down and be like, Oh yeah, that is really important. I haven't thought about breaking these up, but, uh, lighting another one, um, mm. the intensity direction and quality of lighting can influence an audience's understanding of characters, actions, themes, and mood, uh, light and shade can emphasize texture, shape, distance, mood, time of day or night season, glamour. It affects the way colors are rendered, both in time, terms of hue and depth, and can focus attention on particular elements of the composition. Highlights, for example, call attention to shapes and textures, while shadows often conceal things, creating a sense of mystery or fear. Uh, again, lighting is huge for feel, but lighting elements are like are, are can be huge tools to use when you're when you're writing as well, and did like describing the lighting or describing what the lighting feels like to somebody like if it's blinding or if if the light is uh casting shadows if you know what like describing that lighting it's one of the one of the key like secrets to like good visual storytelling is to always like start with lighting because um any actual thing that you see is light right so yeah like, in reality you only ever see light and so everything that you see has a light source and so if you're ever struggling with what to describe in your scene, you can start by describing in some way like where that light source is coming from. How's yes. it reflecting off the subject that you want to be talking about? Yes. And like hues and stuff like that, like cold light versus warm light versus golden versus this. Like 
you know, uh, the absence of light, pinpoint focus, all, all that stuff like that. Like uh, taking basically like when mise-en-scene is, is spoken of, it's the purpose is to, for all of these things to come to mind and for you to have a purpose for every single one of these. Cause you get into like, to like major budget films and, and theater and everything and nothing, nothing is on, on set or in scene by coincidence. Except Everything, the, the Starbucks cup. And the game maybe the Starbucks. <laughs> well, okay. I, I, I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> it's in the last season of Game of Thrones, like when they're getting pretty lazy, I think. Oh my Daenerys God. Daenerys just has like a Starbucks that. on like the, the great hall table or whatever. Oh my God. I got to, I can see that. <laughs> but yeah, that obviously was poor mise-en-scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, but okay, so yeah. so, the, so then we go into uh, space. Representation of space affects the reading mm. of a film. Uh, depth, proximity, size, and proportions of the place and objects in a film can be manipulated through camera placement and lenses, lighting, set design, effectively determining mood or relationships between elements in the story world. Mm-hmm. You know, when when we talk about in in this, uh, well, you'll you'll, you'll hear. Um, ben and I talk about like camera angle, frame, like perspective, all that stuff. Like this, yeah. coming from like a, a, a screenwriting background, that's kind of ingrained in us. Whenever we, whenever mm-hmm. we write, is like, okay, what's the view? You know, yeah. where's the perspective? But that has been a huge boon in in my writing thus far and in and in articulating my scenes and even in even in songwriting just like really determining my perspective and the space of this character uh, like how far yeah. away they are like I, I don't know that's just something that i'm constantly yeah. thinking about no it's something that you you and you you i'm not saying you're saying this but to, to for a general rule if like you may assume that's only um, applicable to film, you know, thinking about camera angles and everything. But like what Mike is saying here is like thinking about this in terms of our storytelling, like all the stories that we tell and all the stories that we're writing every week. Like I think about, do I want this shot to be a close up? And if I want a close up on yes. the character's face, I describe the way the sweat is beating. Yes. And if yes. I want a far back shot, then I describe the way the smoke is billowing up behind them. Yes. And it's like, if you're you, not saying close up, yeah, or you like never that. mention the mind. lens, but you totally create where the lens is. As Absolutely, a writer. you draw their focus here, and then you pull it over here, yeah. and you're kind of writing this dynamic. Yeah, and that's scene. that's what's really crazy about writing in comparison to these other things is like when you have a camera, you actually have all these rules of physical space. Of you can only make this object this big compared to that thing based on how wide your angle is and how close you can get to your subject. But like in writing, you can distort the perspective infinitely by just choosing to focus three paragraphs in a row on the snow globe in the room. Yeah, very You are true. like totally bending space and time around this object. You're creating a fisheye lens that has a full 360 view. Like you can, you can, you can, you can do anything can. with words you can actually put yourself in the perspective of a character where you only see what they, what they see and you only feel about it, what they feel about it. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you could describe, there could just be like an elderly man. Um, and this character may have trauma 
or something like that or a, a negative a negative mindset and they see them and it's like this miserly uh you know decrepit blah 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 you know you know what you know where i'm going like basically that that's the only way that, that you as a uh, as an audience can see that person now mm-hmm. um until you hop out into another perspective and then you can maybe see them somewhere some way differently but all of that adds dynamic um when thinking about it that way uh the that that moves on to uh composition uh is the organization of objects actors in space within the frame one of the most important concepts with the regard to the composition composition of a film is maintaining a balance of symmetry. This refers to having an equal uh, distribution of light, color, and objects in or figures in a shot. Unbalanced composition can be used to emphasize certain elements of a film that the director wishes to be given particular attention to. This tool works because audiences are more inclined to pay attention to something off balance as it may seem abnormal where the director places a character can also vary depending on the importance of the role. So how do you think like in writing, how can we, how can we, can we use the, the, the mise-en-scene of composition in, in, in our writing, you know, like what's in the frame. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a lot like what we were saying for the last one, right? It's what you're choosing to focus on and highlight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it. <laughs> I think I, like I the way that I kind of see that one is when you're you're constantly you're kind of like bouncing between. Um, movie camera and play when you're when when i'm writing at least where i'm like okay i know what i what's going on in this room but i want you to focus on this and i want you to focus on this but all this is happening within this room or scene um like composition would be uh so that things just aren't happening randomly like if someone's going to be pushed into a fountain at some point in this scene like I probably will mention the the flow mm. of running water, right? I'll I'll work that in, and that will be part of the composition, so that if something is interacted with that, it won't seem unbalanced. Like what the, yeah. Wait, Setting where are up, we? Like, that, that jars me. Physical space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's like it's so it's a balance then because setting up a consistent physical space obviously um the the more you delineate the space the more you create something certain the less you are leaving to the reader's interpretation yeah which is is typically like um uh, like there's rules of thumb about how much you want to say about your environment versus how much you want to just give a vibe and allow like the reader to fill in details Mm -hmm. around the color and so it's an interesting sort of like discussion to have yeah the balance yeah. to find, and I guess everyone would have to find that for their own style and their writing. Mm-hmm. But something to think about, just having that as a, as a, as, as something to spark in your head. Like, oh, okay. Uh, another thing they have in here, uh, they've got a few more uh, wrapped into mise en scene is uh, costume. Uh, 
uh, in in film and theater that that that's how they refer to it refers to the clothes that that characters wear using certain colors or designs costumes in narrative cinema are used to signify characters or to make clear distinctions between characters yeah and i feel like this would go out into character appearance as well like yeah. we're talking about something outside because that would probably include makeup for them which yep. then includes makeup this and hairstyles the next way one they, oh, okay it's yep. oh, okay and yeah, then they, acting is the next one after that. I think all three of these would go into the same thing mm. for, for us as writers. Yeah. But they, they talk about like choosing the actor for a scene, for a role, mm. like in film and theater, you're looking at this person's headshot. You're seeing them in an audition. You're seeing how they, how their face wrinkles. You're seeing like how they carry themselves. You, like you are seeing this person. Um, describing our characters in a way where you're thinking of like you're kind of casting this character into this role and, and, and switching it that way we're like okay why okay like I got a guy named Juro in my in my my my, my trilogy story right now and like I could I it would be of great service if I'm going to continue this to cast Juro in yeah. my mind if I haven't already I feel like I have uh Lake already cast uh, but I don't have Juro cast. I don't have Neve to cast. But if I was going to continue with this story, I need to cast them. I need to figure out what are they wearing. Like, does he wear old tattered jeans you know, or old tattered yeah. pants, or does he? Is he always? Is is he always? Is his shoes always clean for some reason? You know, yeah. like like these little things. We judge appearance in in uh, in in real life first, like snap judgments on people. Like the, mm. the first thing you're going to, you're going to decide is what you think about how they look. Yeah. That is often missed in, in storytelling where it's easily missed. But if, if focused on and encouraged and, and like, just, just not, not, not obsessed over, but just like, like put, put a thought on it could add some like much needed color that, that grips and engages uh, and immerse yeah. it emerges your uh, your audience better yeah i find costume is such such an interesting one like 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 thinking about what my main character wears is always like just like a a moment that happens at some point that's like more um revealing than you think yeah whether you're deciding whether this is like a character that wears like robes or for the kind of stories that I write, like armor or um, like light armor versus heavy armor and like yeah. different different aspects of like casual wear, street wear, business wear. It's like these are like all things that say so much about people. Like, I don't know. I think the, the obvious thing that you would expect to kind of think a lot about is like just the physical appearance of like, you know, what their face, facial structure looks like or like what their appearance looks like but just like in real life clothes are actually a much better indicator of like personality and person yeah because it's the thing that you're choosing like actively day to day to represent you in some way and that's that's something like i don't even i i don't think my characters have ever changed clothes <laughs> like yeah. they're like they're like a Simpsons or Family Guy episode. Uh, they they mean, show up and in my mind they just always look the same. It's like it's not like just the Simpsons and Family Guy. It's like 
like mo- a lot of movies and like t- a lot of TV shows with real characters. They'll like dress yeah. the same a lot of the time. <laughs> like yeah. they never change. But but getting to that that's a that you know you get to learn a lot about us about somebody if you get to see them in five outfits that they picked out for themselves. You know, or if they just show up wearing the same thing three days in a row and then mm-hmm. they change it up a little bit, or if like they have all these different meticulous looks, like you can gain a lot from somebody that way. There's also tropes that costumes fall into that I'm also trying to like combat right now. And uh, I found myself falling into on the on the trilogy challenge when I'm describing some of these people who are popping up. And I was like, okay, this person's going to be, you know, like this person's going to be a witch. I'm like, all right, so she's got black dress and this and that. And I'm like, no, wait, no, that's, I don't want it to go like, that hard into it like I, I want this to be interesting you know like uh Throw that i want to take out, another bit and reverse it yeah exactly that's what i find myself thinking but uh but yeah so costume makeup and hairstyles acting like the actor itself who the, the who's who's your character um all these things uh are are great things to just like check your mise-en-scene when you're when you're when you're approaching your story and be like, okay, have I thought about the set design? Have I thought about where this is? What's the lighting light? Have I thought about the space in, and the composition in, in relation to the characters? Uh, is, uh, are they big in this space or are they small in this space? Um, and then exactly what do they look like? Why do they look like this? Um, yeah, that, uh, those were the, those are the elements they picked out. And I just thought it'd be cool, uh, to, to, to do what we're doing and just and, and talk about how how to take this this uh, film and and theater uh, uh, what would you call it not just term but like it's like oh. a uh, like methodology or like yeah like almost like approach. creed or something or approach whatever yeah but if we take that and and focus that on our writing um so i so i was thinking to do so we could do a little a uh, little exercise um i'm calling this set the stage okay so just so I, with you i want to i want us to pick i've i've come up with a with a few different uh writing prompts okay and I want us to pick one, and then I want us to set the stage that would most accurately depict the feeling that we're we're going to that, that we want to pull out of this uh, using a mise en scene methodology. All right, I think it's a great idea. Should we set a timer for ourselves? Should we say we we're going to do like a fifteen minute segment? Let's do it. All right, fifteen. I've got a timer going. Set timer for 15 minutes. Boom. So do I. All right. So here are our prompts. The two urchins snuck into the great city. Her grandmother's house had never felt felt creepy until now. The captain returned victorious from battle. It was a shithole of a town, but it would have to do for the young billionaire. I really like number two and number four. Okay. 
the number two of house and the billionaire one. Okay. Okay. Um, let's go. Uh, let's go. Let's see. Let's do. Let's do uh, heads or tails on this one. You got okay. a coin. Um, or a D ten, we can do we can do odds or evens. It's I'll just do a coin toss. Okay, so heads is two, uh, tails is four. Okay, we got tails. Tails. Okay, it was a shithole of a town, but it would have to do for the young billionaire. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's break this thing down. Okay, right. so mise en scène. Yeah. Uh, set design. Yeah. So, I mean, like, just as an approach here, as a goal, I I kind of want to make this as unexpected as possible. Yeah. Okay. So, running with the idea of, you know, taking taking the image that uh-huh. I have, it's the most predictable. Would okay. be like a shit. Like a, this is like a modern, young like young billionaire who goes to like a little like town very much outside of his like like a water tower town or something yeah 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 it could be it could be like a another country too it could be he could be like going going worldwide somewhere just shitting on cultures but uh <laughs> oh, i like that like that tells a little bit more about him yeah um but i don't want to choose a place because <laughs> it feels <laughs> like what about somewhere in like alaska well, let's think about this. Let's think about because the the idea of of the mise en scène practice mm-hmm. is to accentuate the feel, mm-hmm. to maximize the feel of what you want to get across. Yeah. So if this is our prompt, it was a shit all of a town, but it would have to do for the young billionaire. What's the feel that we want in this story? I mean, let's just we can rapid fire just like some points on this just to, just to get a story going. We can like okay. Young billionaire, why is he why is he here? Uh is he traveling? Um yeah, maybe maybe he's uh he's trying to travel and he's gotten himself into some kind of an unexpected scenario. Okay. How about uh he's overseas and his uh like 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 for whatever reason his pass they won't let him leave. His passport's like I don't know. I'm sure if you're a billionaire, you can fix these things or you have your private planes and stuff. But just for the sake of the story, he's stuck somewhere and he's, he's just got to find lodging. It's just an annoying problem that he's having. He's got to find lodging for the night. So he goes off into the city. Um, let's see uh, where, like where what let's say like where in the world is this guy? Um, I mean, I I almost like want to see if we could take it in a direction that is like not even like a like a guy going to a city anymore. Okay, like, it's like a bug or something. Okay, like it's okay. another like kind of a take. Like I want like a billion like like uh, the most unexpected possible of this scenario, right? So okay, like yeah. a billionaire who who is like. Uh, he's a, a, a robot. A robot, who's like, 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 kind of like AI ish type thing. Where he, instead of going the like world domination route, this robot like becomes sentient and uh 
becomes a billionaire like immediately. He's a young billionaire. He's only been online for like two days. Yeah. And he's already over I- any town is a shithole town to him because humans are disgusting. Mm-hmm. And what, but what if he's, but what, and what if he's like, so travel, like tra- travel is a typical thing that a billionaire would do. Right. Like every billionaire travels. So what if, like, what if he doesn't, he doesn't travel, like he goes, he goes places to like collect data or something, right? So this okay. is a robot billionaire. Robot goes, billionaire. This is part part of how he makes his fortune. Okay, yes. It's by like going places and he's like scouting out basically like their underground system to come like mine it out. Yeah. Like oil These or are something. offline servers. So he can't <laughs> access them without being there at the server. Okay, yeah. So he's coming for work. Okay, um, so he's there for to work. do to do his work there that no right, one else right. knows about. Okay, okay, all right. So um, let's see this shithole of a town. Um, it has a server. Some so it has some data to be collected. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he's gonna get that data. <laughs> <laughs> I I want to say that maybe this is like a. Um, uh, Maybe this is like some like some like secret government thing where uh, it, it's kind of like a fake city mm-hmm. uh, with like these like server rooms like like in bunkers underneath it or something like that. Um, uh, but it would have to do for the young billionaire. Okay, yeah. So he's got to he's got to kind of. He's got to figure out where these things are, which I'm guessing if you're a robot, maybe you can sense these things. Mm, maybe he's got to figure out some kind of mainframe that he can get into where he'll now be able to locate all of them. Okay. Um, he's going to have to put upload his consciousness <laughs> into their servers. Okay. Maybe he's okay. going gonna to have to become a part of this town. That's why he's not. Why, that's why he's going to have to get used to it. Right. Or oh, what, it? what if the town is the server? Because he lives inside it, he's a robot. He's got he's got to yeah. upload himself into it to mine all the data, and he's like yeah. looking at. Okay, so the oh wait, this is like a, a, it's like a really he's, shitty server he's that he's looking at as a town. But he's also like the service that he provides. So okay. he's like, I'm about to have to come here and be their internet. He sells data, but he goes <laughs> and collects it first. <laughs> <laughs> he loves data. <laughs> And then he sells it to third parties. Yeah. <laughs> He's a walking data mine. Yeah, the data uh, collector. Okay, okay. And this shithole of a town is a server. It's just a really like crappy old server. And he's like, ugh, I'm above this. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's say... Uh, okay, so I think this is an AI... That like I think it, it is too. That like a billionaire kind of like genius invented, like maybe modeled after himself. So it's like his consciousness is okay. now in this AI. It's how he created AI was by cloning himself into some server. Okay. And now he he's trapped in this eternal hell of having to be the, like the servant of reality where he uh, just has to exist on all these servers doing the bidding of people because that's what he planned for AI to do. Oh. But the he's... Tra- modern tragedy. <laughs> How do you get to be a billionaire? Well, he, because from this, he made AI. Oh, wait. Okay, so now he's not a robot and he is a an inventor. 
Well, he's not the. So this is talking about the AI. So the AI is the subject of this story. This is one of his right. like clones, essentially. Okay. So this was based on a billion. So it is this billionaire's whole persona and personality. Okay. He's trapped in this. He's passed his personality into the AI. Yeah. <laughs> and but the AI is locked into the going AI. and living in servers and stuff. Yeah. It had okay. to be conscious to be smart, right? And that's True. the price. That it's okay. The, that is the price of our. So so so. So he's bound to his protocol, but it's so. But he's too smart. He's so. He's smart enough to hate it. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Okay. Again, uh, what, such is the curse of consciousness. What does the AI <laughs> use money for? What um, What is being a billionaire like? Well, it's is, just or, part or of his the, personality. It's who so he the, is. It's who he was. Ah, uh, so so this his, AI has the personality of a billionaire. Yeah, but the function of yeah a program. Yeah. Okay, I'm casting him as Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> that's a good cast. <laughs> okay, so that's that's our that that's our actor that we've picked. Um, uh, uh-huh. I'm also going to um. So he's got a body that he walks around in, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh so I'm saying um let's see, let's see, let's see. What does he look like? What I feel like I feel like clothes for for us to for this to be a I don't know. I don't want, I don't want to do like black suit or anything. No, because so we have to think about what he is to these people. So he's some sort of like AI, like angel program that comes to your town and then becomes like, have you seen The Good Place? Uh huh. It's like this is Janet. They can summon like this AI being that's like Google and mm-hmm. like, like will talk to you. And like, so he could be like this for this town or something. Oh, like he's this like god character that shows up and like is your like google for your town and he can he does all your wiring gonna like streamline everything and get you up and going and yeah and so this is this service that this billionaire amazon whatever jeff bezos guy offers is he sends out these clones of himself that go to these Uh, towns and they hate it they hate doing it or at least this one (laughs) for whatever reason in this town i like I like the idea of, of this of this clone wearing like hating the clothes he's wearing too. Like, so he wears their local clothes tie. then. Okay, he wears like um whatever. Yeah, his okay. His like uh, if if this is taking place in like Alaska, I mean, I think I feel like a a mid American like Midwestern. Yeah, vibe makes sense. Yeah, that's that's where I was landing too. Yeah, like let's say this is in Kansas. Yeah, uh, or Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Just one of and... the worst places. <laughs> <laughs> no hate on on Kansas or Oklahoma. Love both, but let's say it's it's like uh, I'm thinking like flat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like water tower type town. Yeah. You get in there and just like one street pretty much you look in any direction and you can see the full horizon yeah okay so so our our set design is i'm seeing him like the classic scene of like 
big shot in his small town. Like I'm seeing him standing there with his like laptop bag. Uh, and he just got like, like the limo drops him off or something. And he, and like, and then it drives off and he's just like standing in the street looking at this town. And there's a, there's a water tower in the background. There's a diner. Uh, there's a laundromat. And let's see what, what, what else? What else we got in the set? What's he looking at? He's looking around. He's like, God, this sucks. Uh, the the saloon, uh, like like a bar, like well, a crappy bar. Yeah, definitely got, got a crappy bar. Yeah, this will be one of his first destinations. Okay, and it does not go well. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, hold on. Let's talk about we're just talking about the mise en scene. Yes. On scene. Yes. Uh, so so our set design is this small town. Flat, dusty. If you saw a uh, uh, a freaking tumbleweed go through there, it would make sense. It wouldn't be out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's there is a bar there because and that's that's purposeful because he's going to go there first. So that would be setting the setting the stage design, having that maybe in the first view somewhere, whether it's focused on or not. Um, but like just setting that that decision up. And then um, let's think lighting. What time of day is this? Mm. Yeah, he would pull up in the evening, I think. I like in the evening. Okay. Because you need that kind of almost ominous like red tint coming over the sky. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And which way is his shadow going? Is it behind him in a long Mm. shadow or is it in front of him? I feel like it's pointing toward the town. I think so too. We're the camera's look is I think what I what I see from the from a shot of him getting out of his car standing up, maybe taking off his sunglasses. Yeah, the shadows in front of him. We're looking away from the town, kind of from the town's perspective at him. But also like if you zoom out and see him from behind, it looks like he's coming at the town. Mm-hmm. If the shadow was going behind him, it'd be like the town is, is coming yeah. at him type thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I like that. See that that's got some purpose too. That's Did setting have, it up. They so they like they must have won some kind of like lottery this town because it's like yes. normally only rich towns can afford this because yes. it's like this really expensive service. And so normally there wouldn't be this clone that's super out of place he, and hates he's where the, he is. He's the first one to get sent to like the, yeah. this new lottery thing that this this scientist has. Is like, yeah, we're gonna give him away, and he's like, God dang. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's just not gonna go well okay okay all right let's let's think um that's my timer hold up hold up let's we're, we're, we we got this we got this thing cooking just a little bit longer uh the uh all right can we can we add any focus or thought into space and composition reposition of space uh depth proximity size proportions places and objects um what do you think? I mean, Composition. I think, yeah, creating, creating the, uh, like, where in the frame, because I'm, I'm imagining this framing now in this town and him from different different angles, different sides. Like, how big is the town? Is it, like, a really tiny town? Are we able to get one frame that captures, you know, the whole town and him yeah. walking toward it, you know? Like, that, that is, like, sort of a placement composition thing, and I think... I think yeah, like I think having it be a town that you could get within one frame that you don't have to pull that far back from him. Like you can still see like the detail on his the, his jacket, and then it's like twelve houses <laughs> going back, back along one road. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. 
So um, I'm thinking like composition wise of like where I, I think about that as translating to where, where, what building is he closest to? What, if, if you're closest to the bar, you're probably going to be hearing the bar already. If you're closest to a diner, you may hear plates clanking. If you're, uh, you know, if, uh, wherever he may be, maybe, uh, like, what if he's, what if he, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll just put him next to the, next to the diner or next to the bar. That's why he goes in the bar first. Yeah. So that'd be like setting him up to make a move. Um, yeah. The, like how many cars are on the street? Like, is it busy? Is, uh, well, is, are there people walking around looking at him? Like, I suppose this guy like or he would, he would be showing up probably wanting to connect with whoever is in charge of the town. Right. But that would be its own little challenge the town not really being an established thing uh -huh. like i think that his first sort of where he shows up first actually would be like some guess at what like the the mayor's house is but it would pretty much just be a random spot that he starts asking which may end so, up being like the saloon or like the inn or something so to to wield the whole like feel like of Okay, our prompt is it was a shithole of a town, but it would yeah. do, it would have to do with the young billionaire. Yeah. If our whole goal in doing this 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 method is to accentuate the feel, how can we make the set design seem miserable to him? Yeah, and who is the first people? Like, how can everything accentuate that he is and, miserable and, and does not also fit? convey that his attitude right now isn't actually like to get all his work done and to get shit done. It's like to just to to get himself to a point where he feels like he's fitting in like his goal is to is to go to the bar and drink enough that he forgets like because because the the end of the prompt is but it will have to do yeah like he, yeah this is about the scene the mise-en-scene we're creating is a it's a scene about him trying he's to got, reach he's got a, a point job where it will do yeah and that he can be okay with it on the inside <laughs> yeah okay so uh Let's think. Um, I'm thinking he would hate it if there was just a ton of people, and uh, and like it would maybe it was busy. So maybe we make it like a busy time of day. Maybe this is like this is like lunch or something, mm -hmm. and uh, just everyone's walking around, and you know it's one of those things where you just walk across the street on your lunch break, and um, or maybe it's like Sunday after. Uh, after church and people are just walking up and down the street, getting ice cream and stuff like that. And, and he's just like, Oh my God, this is, this is what I have to bring up to par. Maybe they have like, th maybe there's like their, their crown jewel is like an old soda shop that sells like candy and, and milkshakes and stuff like that. And his goal is to get this thing, like to revive this town and bring it mm -hmm. up to the, to the new age. Mm -hmm. Like, a like maybe the first one person he talks to is like a post, post postal worker which is like this archaic technology that he's like oh my god you guys still got these like yeah okay <laughs> yeah uh or there's a milkman there or something like that you know mm -hmm. um yeah postal work is good someone he can interact with that he just immediately makes their whole job obsolete and he's like <laughs> let me up let me update this system <laughs> click 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 <laughs> 
It would be funny to have him like run into somebody that he immediately ruins their life, and he's like, "Hold up, I'm gonna have to back up. That's not gonna work. This isn't gonna be good for the the brand if everyone hates us." <laughs> and then, uh, but anyway, I, I know we don't want to stay too long on this, but uh, yeah, like that that but like, I, I think that just thinking about, I mean, we definitely ran off on a tangent on it because we like to have fun and we're badass like that, but uh, but thinking about okay, the feel, all right, not just like what's the first thing that comes to mind, but like, okay, I want you to, I want this to convey that they are uncomfortable. So if if I'm just walking into this new scene that I haven't really thought of other than I want them to go to a bar, then how can you make that bar more uncomfortable for them? How can you make walking to it uncomfortable? How can you make, like, what's the lighting look like? What does the lighting say? What is uh you know what what all is around yeah. that you're going to be that that you want to have um at your disposal to interact with and starting to build out your scene like that mm-hmm. and we're we're again talking about this as sort of part 3 in like a story development series yeah and so this is this is a sort of the way that we're thinking of as a uh build, building out going from um, looking at the the macro scale of like storytelling as a whole, uh, the three act structure, n- narrative arcs, and then coming into a more detailed understanding of building out your scenes. Um, obviously, we did a live right in the last episode that was pretty cool where we we sort of did this with with an actual scene of, of writing out detail for detail um, how how we would write a scene back and forth between mm-hmm. me and Micah, and this is this is sort of going into more detail on on that that process and that aspect of this the scene building um yeah this this approach i don't think should be used on drafting at all like 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 this because you can get bogged down on this and and Mm. definitely um like i i feel like this is this is just a really good uh kind of like maybe like second drafting like like you get your draft out, you know where the story is going and all this stuff. You know what you want them to feel. You know how they're going into a scene, coming out of a scene, and then to like go in and and look at your scenes and just pay attention to what's in there, what's not in there, what could be in there, what needs a little bit more detail, what would make more sense. You know, like making sure that if I mentioned the jukebox was playing, like does that have a purpose? Maybe I should have a song there. What's the song going to be mm-hmm. like? everything having a purpose instead of just like random information yeah it's very much like the the stage of like tone yeah it's like you 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 definitely want to lay out your skeleton and know your story first but like there's going to come a time when you want to introduce mood tone vibe Mm -hmm. um to whatever your project is story song um and and set design in set design would be like props too you know like if if you have a weapon, we talked about this in one of the, one of the episodes briefly, but like weapon choices for people says a lot about them, especially if they're proficient. Just giving everybody a sword, you know, what if they have a halberd? What if they have a spear? What if they have a bow? What if it's a gun? What if it's magic? What if it's this? Like all of those have different types of personalities and backgrounds mm-hmm. and all this stuff like that. Like thinking about, you know, why why are they wearing a cowboy hat? You know, is it just yeah. because that's how they looked in your head? Well, you probably need a reason for that. We need a back, we need a backstory. Like what, 
uh, it's a small, easily concealed pistol that they carry. Well, why not a big pistol? Like, so what does that tell? Why is it that, you know, um, that I, I heard it described well, uh, where there, it was like, yeah, you have, you, you, you may put a, you may be talking about, you have a car in your, uh, story and then you drop your own car into it. Cause you're like, Oh, I know a lot about this car. This is something I can make really realistic. So yeah, he got into his F one fifty and, and took off. But would it make more sense? Would it would it flesh out the character more to like have a specific car that they have? And there's a reason why of that car. Maybe there's an a year, a model, a make, a uh, 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 you know, an income of where they would be at at that time. And or maybe this is a passed down car from their father or whatever. You know, little things like that. That even if it's just held in your mind just fleshes out the depth of a of a scene the yeah. vibrance i feel like and it's like the the definitiveness with which you speak as a writer like always goes a long way and that kind of like just being able to throw out the actual model of the car like it's so much quicker of a way to get out the idea and more specific than like if you were to just pair together a general adverb adjective and noun to get across like you want to say it's a big car like you put in like massive caravan versus like actually writing out like suburban or like f-150 right. or like writing in the name of a car just gets it right across to you and you're not interacting with dude like what what one of the, the the rules that I've um, loved like following for writing and, and thinking about has been like the rule to which like I didn't I was told to me kind of wrong at first, which was like never use adverbs um, because anytime you're using an adverb, you should just be using a more colorful verb. So like mm. instead of saying. He, he opened the door slowly. You say he creaked open the door. Mm, um, I see. Or like instead of like he um, he sneakily put his hand in the bag of chips, like he snuck his hand into the bag of chips. Like there's there there's usually not usually even like there's just sometimes it's just something to think about any time you're trying to describe any action, use the most colorful verb that you can to describe mm -hmm. the action so that you need to do as little extra work of tacking on words to make that thing as specific as you had the image in your head of what the person is doing. Like if someone's taking their backpack off their back, make it a visually interesting moment. Like they're slinging it off or like they're whipping it around or yeah. they're, like, they're doing something that, that gives you an image in your head that's like, very definite and you wouldn't know as a reader why it's more interesting that that thing happened it's just that it was something that actually had enough of a hook visually to get your mind just doing the thing yeah and then you're just seeing it and you don't have to be like thinking about the logic of what's happening in the scene it was just a visual in your face moment and that's true for verbs and adverbs but it's also totally true for nouns and adjectives like take any moment that you're you're describing a noun with an additional adjective and ask yourself like 
say for whatever reason, you know, someone has like green paint on their face or someone, and it's like a green, a green human, like, and you're trying to say like green and green and then the green person. But then like, what if they just think about another way you could say green person? What if you just called them the goblin? Like yeah. everyone would know. That when you're saying the green, that if he said the goblin, then you meant like the right. green person. You know he's green. But it would just like <laughs> it would just add color and flavor to the scene of uh-huh. like of however funny that moment is. Like or that. goblin skin, you know, like yeah. you're like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, orcish, so like, orcish hue, you yeah. know, yeah. So like any any time that you have. Uh, an adjective or an adverb just start thinking about is there a way to bake that concept into the noun itself is there a way to bake that into the verb mm. itself yeah so that i just have one word that already was totally visually fulfilling i i love that practice that's really cool never thought about it that way i i try to find like the most like I, I try not to reuse verbs a lot, like descriptive verbs, and like whenever they're getting like really juicy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which which runs me on tangents of finding like other uh, other other words and everything that that I'll tweak just so it just continues to stay fresh. Um, but I like the idea of like, okay, I'm throwing an adverb or an ad- adjective in there. Uh, what what is this describing and could is there something else that i could let me go back and look at that verb no that is the verb that i want to use okay is this ad- adjective adverb necessary yeah i do want to push the envelope just a little bit more okay then it checks out but maybe just like working that into my process yeah help trim the fat and make and like and like boost the color yeah it's like it's it's just one of those almost like autocorrect type things that you don't have to do much mental work around. You can just like, it's like a math, it's like canceling out numbers in a math problem. You can kind yeah. of just like look over your thing and be like, oh, there's a lot of L-Y words. Let's just yeah. look at those verbs and see if I can find a way to make, to collapse this into one word. Idea. Yeah. I like that. Hell yeah. Well, um, Let's see. I we think should get into time, stories. Yeah, and it's we time should, to move on to these challenges. Probably get them get them going as quickly as possible. Okay. If you want to like I, the the there are some time constraints on the episode. Nothing too extreme. I today, Julia is recovering from surgery. Ah. So I ha- I'm taking care of Julia today. Yes. So okay. We'll have to be getting back to that pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all that's, right. Uh, that is a, a general uh, word out to uh, for for everyone and sending sending energy out to Julia on recover. I mean, like at this point, by the time people are seeing this, she's recovered. <laughs> but in my time zone, <laughs> yes, you're still putting it out sending, there. I'm sending out energies. Yeah, we love you, Julia. I'm praying yes, for you, you already. Better. As soon as we get off this, um, yeah. I, 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 so she's on the mend. Yeah, yeah. Good, wisdom, good. Wisdom tooth. So okay, okay. All right. Nothing like unexpected, like big to long term, but yeah. Yeah, but she's doped up right now. Huh? <laughs> oh yeah, she's so out of it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, we'll let's 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 just hop in. So, um, this is uh this whole this whole episode is part three of of um story development and um. 
we have it's been a long road and like we said before we've got some champions who are just just keeping in step and have hit it every week for each three parts and now what started out with one word grew to 50 grew to 500 and then grew to a thousand and uh that's what we have and we don't want to miss a single one so we're going to share all of them yes sir also some of these people are going to be graduating uh from the curriculum yes indeed Yes, so like five graduates, I think. Yeah, so that's exciting. Meaning we're going to be able to start lining up, uh, uh, having some uh, right guy community uh, guests on. Yes, to talk about all this. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to have some of those interviews in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. So um, for anyone here uh, who hasn't listened to the past two, um, why don't you give us a rundown of what this whole deal was? Yeah, so uh, we started this out with a activity that we were calling like seating. No, seating was a different thing. We sort of ended up naming the challenge after seating. Seating, the rapid idea prototyping, was, drafting. The idea was to <laughs> take a, a single word. Uh, uh-huh. And Micah's word was oracle for the challenges he, stories. He was writing mine was spell. And so anyone could take either oracle or spell and write a 50-word flash fantasy about that word. That was week one. In week two, you took that 50-word story, and you were to expand it to a 400 to 600-word story. Um, so take that little scene idea and make it into a little uh, story length yeah, thing. Yeah, you could add into it. You could add words into it and just grow those 50 words into a more fleshed-out thing. You could just start writing after it. You could write before it and work yeah. into it. But uh, either way, you're just to grow that 50-word yeah. fantasy into a f- f- uh, four to 600. Yeah. And then after week two, we kind of said, hey, that 400 to 600 story, word story that you have there, that's just got set in place. That's, that's written in stone. Now for challenge three, write an additional 400 to 600 words of content that will go before or after the existing content uh so without changing the original manuscript in any way building it or editing it you're just now building around it uh furthering or after or both Mm -hmm. yep and here we are so the people that we're going to be reading they had they did all three steps of this yeah and we'll we'll reference each story for the sake of time we're not going to read through the full thousand words right now if you want to hear the stories from last week you can watch the end of last episode where we go over all of them yes okay all right let's see i am going to kick it off with uh with the legend herself anna all right. All right. This is uh this is the Golden Bow part 2. Um so, here we go. And yeah, this is just picking up the, what she added on to it. Aeneas's footsteps echoed in the dark passageway as he and the Sibyl marched down deeper into the underworld. Aeneas remembered tales told of the heroes of old who ventured to these realms, the terrors they had seen. 
he steeled up his courage for the moment when he might come to face come face to face with the with the Cerebrus or the fearsome harpies. Finally, the the descent stopped, and Aeneas and the Sibyl walked out into a wide, flat plain under the earth. Shadowy, whispering shades of the departed flitted about, scattered as far as the eye could see. They gathered around Aeneas and the Sibyl, muttering, or yeah, around Aeneas and the Sibyl, muttering, "Living souls in the kingdom of the dead." The Lord of the Dead will not stand for this. Aeneas held out his golden bow. We come sent by the gods to pursue destiny, he announced in a voice that was braver than he truly felt. The shade scattered away from the faint glow cast by the golden bow. You, you will find your father in Elysium, the realm of heroes, the Sibyl explained. Follow me, Aeneas followed trying to ignore the tormented screens of the wicked being punished in Tartarus or the, or the dark shadowy shapes, shapes of shades and monsters that scattered before the light of his golden bow. He had faced and defeated many a mortal enemy, but insubstantial foes were more fearsome because they preyed not on the flesh, but on the mind. Finally, he and the Sibyl reached a golden gate. She gave a signal and the gate swung open revealing a bright, sunny plain where heroes practiced fighting drills or feasted and spoke of old times with their friends. Aeneas spotted his father, Anchises. How would you say that? Anchises? Anchises, I would say. Anchises. Aeneas spotted his father, Anchises, instantly and ran up to the old man. Father! Son! So So you have journeyed all the way to learn your destiny. Yes, father. Ah, yes. You're very close. You're only a few days sailing from the shores of Lavinium, where you will where you will find the hospitable people that will take you and your men in, and the pro- and the princess who will join you in fa- in founding a new destiny. The princess is unfortunately betrothed to another at this time. There will be conflict but trust that you will emerge triumphant to found a new city. What, ki- what kind of city will it be? Anchises beamed. A grand city, my son. A city of marble and gold. A nation of heroes, of warriors and high priests, of sturdy farmers and just leaders. A kingdom that will rule over the, the, the whole world. Aeneas marveled at his father's words, speechless. It is time to leave now, son, said Anchises. The Sibyl nodded her agreement. Aeneas, Aeneas wanted to stay, to spend more sweet moments with, with his aging father, but understood that there was no time to dwell on the past. He had to move forward to his destiny. Anchises gestured toward two gates. One was of gold, the other of ivory. Exit through the ivory gate, my son. The gate of dreams. Of dreams? Aeneas asked. Does that mean that this was all a dream? Or that my future kingdom is but a dream? Anchisa smiled and clapped Aeneas on the back. You're a smart man, my son. I'll leave that to you to figure out. Now return to the mortal realms and pursue your destiny. Aeneas took the Sibyl's gnarled hand and together they stepped through the ivory gate that led back to the lands of the living.
Mm. He's learned his destiny. Boom. Wow. He did it. Well, he's going to learn his destiny. Yeah. Well, he so well he knows he's going to found a city. Uh-huh. But he doesn't know if he doesn't know if the if if this whole meeting his father was a dream. Yeah. Or if uh if he or or if the city is a dream. Yeah. But it could be like, I don't know, like a dream a dream, um, is it an ambition too, you know? Yeah, true. Like if that's like, if, if that's like exit through the gate of dreams to go pursue your dream and it is still just a dream, but it's like, you know, you're going in the direction of going to realize that thing. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I loved it. So this one, it started out and he like found, see, so I think the 50 word fantasy was, was basically just about like, encountering yeah. this the the sibyl yeah. and they were like she was like wafting vapors and yeah. uh and telling of um fortunes pretty much and then he asked her uh in in the in the expanded the second challenge she uh asked him you know what what he wanted to know like what uh she it, it, you know what prophecies he, he, he wanted to hear. And he basically was like, I don't want to hear that. I want, I didn't get to finish my conversation with my dad before he died. He was telling me about my destiny. And she was like, Oh, so you want a conversation with the dead. And she tells him to go pluck this golden bow from this golden tree. That's going to like, uh, keep him safe in the underworld. And they go under this lake uh, it's like this dark putrid lake and they go find this like rock wall near it and they step through it and that, that's where they end up here. So mm-hmm. I'm curious. I mean, it's it's exciting because uh, we're going to end up having her on and I'm curious to like ask her like what's going on there. Like did he, did he ever go through that rock wall? Did he fall asleep there? Like mm-hmm. did she put on her spell? Like what's, what's going on there? But either way, yeah. it's very colorful. Yeah, it's a cool story. Cool, lots of cool little scenes and like, um, little like glimpses into different like tableaus in this little world. Yeah, cool cool world. Cool way that the the magic system kind of works very mysteriously and around like the divination and fortune telling. Yeah, the the vibe of the characters are cool. The way that they interact with each other, I love all like the uh, references to Greek mythology and lore obviously like you're starting with the idea of the sibyl um Mm -hmm. which is like already connected with uh all that kind of historical lore and stuff um but then like dimensions of tartarus elysium um these are all like brush strokes that like painting with them like mike and i've been talking about mise-en-scene and vibe the whole episode painting with those words calls to mind such a specific um like realm of imagery and mythos. And, yeah. Uh, it's just a cool thing to, to kind of draw on and to see it done here. It's, I, it's I liked nice. her, her touch with the like hall of heroes type thing where, uh, he goes to these golden bright golden gates and immediately there's just like these heroes of old, like doing fighting, dr- either doing fighting drills or, uh, or feasting and just like, when like sharing glory day stories. Like I could like see it, you know, when they came through. Yeah. It was cool. 
All right. Yeah. Way so to go, I'll, Anna. I'll go ahead and grab another one off the shelf. Okay. Um. Okay. Uh, I will talk about Jameson's. Okay. The Ones Tavern. Um. So set it up. Let, let's set it up. What what it was before. Yeah. Yeah. So you you had this like um this group of people who are in this tavern the level one's tavern is uh the idea of it is it's somewhere that people go early on in an adventure um it's either it's a play on words for the like level one or chosen one uh, but the one's tavern is like uh a place that a lot of heroes are at at the beginning of their journey for whatever reason um and in this story you have this uh interaction between the bartender and these characters florin and stall um who are trying to cast spells in the bar and getting up to different levels of mischief Mm -hmm. um and a big part of it the story was kind of going into this magic system of source carving that was kind of this cool unique thing um that to not go into too much more detail, uh, I'll, I'm going to read the second part of the story, and if we have to supplement with additional context, then we can do that. That's all good. Yeah, yeah. But uh, okay, so here we go. Florin shrugged off his twinge of guilt. He feared for the lives of the guards he left behind. May mercy find you, Florin whispered while leaving the cave. He wasn't particularly a religious man, however, he couldn't help but utter the simple prayer. The cave where most resonant shards were found was almost always crawling with guards, but tonight they seemed distinctly uninterested in performing their duties. Those who remained at their post laughed with the ferocity of those who had too much rum. Surely they must have been briefed that some fool had been successfully descending the treacherous mountainside hunting resonant shards. Bane of Adalium, they called him. Florin did not think himself a bane, a heretic perhaps, but only because he defied the law of the, ad- of the academy. Certainly at this point, Florin accepted that he was, in fact, a thief. The Academy was not known for their forgiveness. However, Florin still wished hopelessly that those who failed to uphold their duty tonight to stop him got their chance to laugh another day. Florin climbed until he was well out of sight. He closed his eyes and resonated until he heard the small whistle of the note he inscribed several hundred feet above him. Ascend. Florin reached with his hand and grasped a translucent rope which slowly pulled him up toward the rune inscribed on the edge of the cliff. It was dangerous to use source carving in this way when he was still a novice, even if he was a prodigy. He credited his success toward his knack, diligence, ingenuity, and his new mentor. This will be enough to pay for four more months of training from that cheapskate bartender. (laughs) He reached the top of the ledge and pulled himself up. Normally, he would be able to spot at least two guards on patrol at this point, but the grounds were silent. Something isn't right. This whole thing had been too easy. He clutched the bag tight and checked over his shoulder until he reached a corner where he likely wouldn't be disturbed. Florin opened his leather satchel and grabbed a resonant shard in his palm. He closed his eyes until he could sense nothing but himself, the shard, and the ambience which surrounded them and resonated, filling the shard with his power. The shard hummed a melodic tune and and glowed with dim, violent light. Well, that'll work just fine, and Orakili wouldn't care how easy the job was. So long as it was done, couldn't be traced back to him. Still, he didn't want to continue risk getting 
risking getting caught. Stealing Academy shards got civilians on top of their most wanted lists. They made sport of quickly finding those who opposed their rule and throwing them off the edge of a cliff. Florin heard a rumbling in his inner ears before the stone wall to one side of him grabbed his left arm. He threw his right hand toward the stone. Shatter! It broke apart with a torrent of magic at a high-pitched frequency, freeing his arm. He looked up and saw a cloaked figure preparing another spell. They found me. Before Florin could react, the cobblestone curled around his legs and knocked his head against the ground while hoisting him in the air. His vision blurred and felt the consciousness quickly leaving him. Just as his eyes closed, Florence saw the face of the one who would turn him into the Florence saw the face of the one who would turn him into the academy, the one who was likely responsible for setting him up. It was the face of the tri of the high transmuter, his once fiance, Madeline. Everything went dark. Yes, this was so cool. Yeah, really cool action, cool like description, just of things happening. I think that like. Florin, like moving through this space, interacting with the shards. I think the magic system is obviously. I think Jameson knows that that's that's like one of the big things he's onto here is the source carving magic system. But um, the resonation is really cool. Yeah. Describing that happening with the shards, I I never like critique on these, and this isn't even a critique. Um, Jameson, it's just something that like I want to see. Um, sound effects. Oh, like yeah. I want to hear that the shard is resonating, not just like the sentence. Like I like I want like a like if you could figure out cool sound effects with a shard, like cool onomatopoeia is like e is like a maybe a kind of a boring one, like all e's. But like think about like ringing sounds, like what those could be, and like think about like having a cool one for like when he powers up his shard or whatever. I don't know, just ideas, but I le- I really like sound like effects. A, like a like what are you saying? Like bzz, like like an onomatopoeia, or or like a description of like, like tinkling glass or something like, like that. Like it could right? be either. I I like onomatopoeias. I like when it's all caps, um, mm-hmm. and like and it's just like it would be something like it's always like at the beginning of a paragraph, and it's just like like shing or whatever. Like yeah. if you can come up with like a cool with a cool <laughs> sounding one for your magic system, that I would think be would fun. be really cool. Uh it, it's it's a way like with I, I use sound effects and storytelling a lot to break up the pace. Like because it's a totally different kind of sentence and it shows people that something happened. Mm. Um it's like you can you can kind of go endlessly in and out of sentences describing a character doing something and never know that there was like a, a suddenness to any of those turning points or like that something happened and and that the next thing you're describing is actually a change in direction. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it can just feel like things keep going. I'm not saying that's happening here. I'm just saying this is like a tool. This is one of the reasons I'm really into using sound effects. Um, yeah. Like using... You, just using them to break up action and dialogue like it, it just shows you that there's a new beat like bling is like well then what was that sound we're looking for the explanation of that and, right and it and it breaks up the cadence yeah that's that's a good tip i like that too i like to see that um i loved uh i, I loved having like I, I like magic systems where you can prep things like you can make preparations like beforehand he had carved a rune uh like uh he had source carved a rune like a hundred feet up and then he like resonates and ascend and then like a, a translucent rope shows up and starts pulling him upwards like that's 
like I, I love hearing some like strategy, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like magic isn't always just happening like off the cuff. It's like, oh, he, he prepped for this. Yeah. And that's how he's able to pull off these crazy cat burglaries, you know, like he's using magic as a tool, you know, yeah. not just as like the as the the one way. It's just a part yeah. of the puzzle. Yeah. I think that's really cool. And this and so it, it just, if you're hearing this for the first time, yeah, it starts it starts out in a bar and he's basically like practicing his source his his source magic and he like ends up like throwing this bottle across the wall and it, it shatters everywhere and the the bar, bartender is giving him shit. And here you realize that that he's actually getting lessons from the bartender, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is was a really cool uh, full circle thing. And also he's trying to um, impress someone, if I remember correctly, in the past one. Like he's trying to, to impress the, the high transmuter. And yeah. then, yeah, and he's like, hey, I'm going to get her this time. And, and like she like, she uh she's in the bar when he does that trick and it fails and then she just kind of like walks out and he's like madeline oh. and now we get to see madeline is his uh his his ex-fiance and she's also fucking wrecking him like you know like like grabbed him with a stone wall type thing and she's just mm-hmm. like she's she's uh evidently obviously working for the academy but I don't know. It definitely just throws a, a lot of color on this story. Like I feel like, I feel like this is, this is a very solid story that could, that you could easily turn into, uh, a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got all the elements. It's awesome. Great job, Jameson. Yeah. No, and he and he did talk about like how this has been an idea that's growing, and he said like maybe one day this this seed bud will continue expanding into a forest. So yeah, we're excited to see it wherever it goes. Keep us absolutely. In the loop. All right, you've got to pick forest. one now. All right, all right. So I'm gonna go with Brian's. All right. Okay. Let's see. I think where did his end last time? I mm-hmm. think it was it, gods. It I hate this bitch. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, all right. So basically, where we're picking up in this one is uh, these two, these two um, uh, shield brother lovers are uh, in battle, and one dies, and uh, the other. Um, cast this the the forbidden spell which is which is basically a revival spell mm-hmm. and the guy comes back to life and he's like he's like you why did you do that you could, like and he's like no time to talk we got to get out of here and they they're, they're basically running for their lives off this battlefield and uh they they're about to the clearing in these trees and this sorceress of uh is what it seems appears out of nowhere and uh it basically she's got like she's like summoning um spears and stuff and she's uh um her last thing she's or she 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 appears i'll just say um uh let's see a raspy laugh rang out from all directions as a figure adorned in a great billowing cloak of the darkest purple emerged from the flame wall and strode towards us felina our hands clenched tighter as we both uh, reached for our blades. 
Her cat-like green eyes danced with flame and hatred as she as she sharply flicked her right arm toward the ground and a black spear issued from her palm. Finally, she purred, your flesh will be in ribbons and your abominations will cease. Looking at my partner with fear and anger, I said, gods, I hate this fucking bitch. So that's where we're picking up. Mm -hmm. She's just showed up. Hate me all you want, Felina hissed, but I am positively soaked with pleasure and knowledge that this spear will be the last thing that penetrates you and neither of your filthy sword-swallowing mouths will be able to bring you back from the dead again. My mind raced. How did she know I had done that? How did she know what I had done? I am no... I. I am no simpleton. The carrion above the battlefield see and hear many things for me. What do we do? Garwin grunted through clenched teeth. I fumbled I fumbled my thoughts for, for a moment before my bow before my brow furrowed and eyes darkened. We kill this raging cunt, I spat. Felina's head whipped back with uproarious laughter as I knocked and loosed an arrow in one swift motion. It was swatted away by the head of, of the ebony spear in her hand like a fly, and her laugh never faltered. She ran her, to- her tongue along the back of her left hand, leaving behind a silver sheen on her skin. Kitty likes to wash before dinner. She whispered before hurling towards us at unsettling speed. We barely had time to draw our blades and barricade ourselves from, from her tackling blow we went sailing back several feet and landed in the sharp grass quickly we found our way to our feet and glanced at each other knowing each other's thoughts i would go high and garwin low barreling forward i shot two arrows rapidly one after the other as garwin dashed left in in a tight arc drawing his knives as he ran admittedly felina had admittedly Felina had not expected so speedy a counter and was only able to send one arrow shaft ricocheting while the second delved into her muscular thigh. Fuck! She wailed, but simultaneously dropped to to her good knee and turned slightly to her right, and there spewed streams of those same blue-purple flames from the top of her dark spear. Garwin, however, expected something like this and sprang up from his crouching sprint and spun a a somersault over the fiery wisps. Landing, Landing, he rolled into another skilled tumble and flicked his knives, his knife. It whistled a sharp and eerie song as it plunged in its cool blade into the fleshy patch beneath her right armpit. She howled with pain and fury. And from her entire being, there issues forth a violet blast of energy that flung them heavily to earth. Heaving breaths issues uh, from Felina's wide, toothy mouth. She scooped up her spear and strode slowly toward Garwin. She knew this this stained-souled lover would not recover in time to stop what she would do. Then she would move on to me. But Felina had ambition and desire that far outweighed her wisdom, and she had already underestimated us both. This was far from her mind uh, now as she as she stalked closer to Garwin's fallen figure. Preparing to plunge her weapon into the heart of this plague of, of a human, she felt a sharp tug at the small of her back and a burning pain. I had recovered enough that I I could see the pendulum swing of her of her slender tail behind her cloak. 
Fixing a rope to the shaft of an arrow, I aimed true and struck the end of the tail, fastening it to the ground. More shocked than in pain, Felina grasped and spun li- like liquid lightning and, and cast her spear straight through my eye socket. Like that, I was dead. Sighing with relief, she turned round once more, but before she could, she could take in anything, she felt her teeth clench together with a shattering force. Her talon-tipped hands scratched the, the air wildly right before her eyes went dark and her body limp. Garwin, now on his feet, withdrew the blade of his knife from Felina's chin in a swift motion that sent a, a sickeningly wet spout of garnet blood spewing as her course fell, corpse fell to the grass. He clasped his throat as he realized his own blood was, was a fountain of scarlet and hot bubbles. Felina, in her death-crazed slashing, had hit her mark, falling to his knees as, he, as his vision blurred. He focused on the body of his great love, knowing in, it, was, it was now incapable of saving him, and he was unable to save me. Nothing. Cool ending with just nothing whenever everyone's dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, Boom. And there it kind of takes on like like reality because because tonally um we're coming from ca- a character perspective for the whole story we're t- we're coming from um this main character's perspective and then there's just the moment toward the end when it's like and then i was dead after that and then he just keeps talking <laughs> yeah i liked that too i was like whoa this is cool <laughs> and like obviously like in any story you you know that they're not alive in the moment they're describing it because it's like past tense. So it's like, yeah, it's like a journal that he's made penning wherever in the afterlife or whatever. And like, like the, there's, there's no break in like the possibility of this being text that exists, but it's right. like, you get to, you get this moment where it's like, this can no longer be reality as described through his eyes where he was this place in time. Like it was leading up to here. And then, um, and then to uh, to have it end with nothing after that, I think is really interesting because because we do too. We see that character perspective disappear, and then we see these last ten seconds of like this finishing out the scene, and then it just becomes very objective as to the perspective itself after that, where it's just yeah. And and I also like uh, I got to give him props. Like this is the first one that I read that was just a whole story. Mm. Um. You know, like this this whole snippet, like these people, you met them, you went through trauma with them, you went through uh, uh, events with them, they found a great foe, battled the foe, everyone's dead. Mm-hmm. And it's like, damn, yeah. he fit that all into a thousand words. I, I think it's it's important too, like, like, okay, so the last one that we read, Jameson's, or the first one we read, Anna's, was, the, the word was Oracle. So that whole thing mm-hmm. spawned off of Oracle. Jameson chose spell, what we just talked about with the source carving and everything. And this one was spell as well. And the spell in this one that he that he decided to use was and the reason why all this is happening is because he he said the forbidden spell, which was a revival spell. Uh and I also like I also loved that he he uh he made them gay. Just these two badass gay war lover warriors. Mm-hmm. Uh I just think that's fresh and 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 really cool. And that's it's kind of like when I when I learned about um, 
Alexander, uh, Alexander the Great's army, like how he chose gay lovers as the, he said they were the best, uh, the best shield brothers. Cause they would always watch each other, ba- uh, each other's backs and they would always do everything they could to protect each other. So like pairing them together, they made this unbeatable, beatable force, which was true because he's Alexander the great and he conquered like crazy with that. So seeing it worked in is awesome. Yeah. Um, that's interesting knowing that historical tidbit. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and I also loved Felina. I thought she had awesome cat like features mm-hmm. and everything without it being too far o- over the top. Yeah. Agreed. Good boss. That fight. was awesome. Yeah. Great. Bo- love a boss fight. Great boss fight. Great story. All right, I'm going to jump into Shannon's here. And Shannon's story from uh, the last two weeks was the one about the pen and the grandfather and sort of this family's story of doing magic um, secretly and learning how to do magic. And it's very connected to penmanship and writing, handwriting specifically, kind of this handwriting-based magic system. Um, She chose spell as well. Yes, that was based on spell, and basically we just saw her interacting in a school environment, rewriting a teacher's memory, and then recounting the experience to a fellow student and and connecting with a peer over her secret life. Right, Uh, right. So we have a continuation here, and I'm just going to jump right in. Let's go. As she rounded this, as she rounded the corner, she spotted her girlfriend's blue Ford pickup in the driveway. That's right. As she rounded the corner. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that definitely changes the story if it's it a girlfriend. Does <laughs> um, as she rounded the corner, she spotted her grandfather's blue Ford pickup in the driveway. She sighed, knowing that it would be another long night. Hey, Devin, her mom said, looking up from a pan of ground hamburger on the stove. Papa's over. Yeah, I noticed, she replied, hanging her backpack on its hook. She could hear the news blaring on the television already as the smells from the kitchen welcomed her home. What are we having tonight? Beef stroganoff, Papa's favorite, her mom said with a smile. Devin grimaced at the thought of the upcoming meal. Go say hi. Devin found her grandfather perched on the edge of the living room sofa, eyes glued to the television. The coffee table was overflowing with the stacks of books, notes, and stacks and stacks of paper covered covered in calligraphy. Hi, Papa. Have a seat. The old man patted the cushion beside him. Devin couldn't make out what the men on TV were arguing about. Have you been practicing your inscriptions? Yes, sir. And how's that been going? I successfully lapsed a memory today. Memento. That's a tricky spell. Thank you. I just... He cut her off with the sound of frantic but perfect pen strokes on paper. The men on TV were arguing over something important and political. A United Nations meeting? She couldn't tell. She read the inscriptions, peace over power, frieden ubermacht, pie sur le pouvoir. Half a dozen other languages followed. It was the UN again. The arguing died down. The spells were effective. I'm going to go to my room and work on my homework. Good to see you, Papa. This is much more important than your homework, Devin. I actually have a new assignment for you tonight. He put down his fountain pen and stretched his tired, aged fingers. She sat back down, hopeful. I'm ready. What kind of inscriptions would you like me to learn? The old man reached into a leather bag and pulled out a thin paperback book. No new inscriptions, a reading and penmanship assignment. Every American scribe should read a copy of Common Sense. Penmanship? 
Are you serious? My hand is so freaking cramped from yesterday, and I'm behind in every class, Grandpa. I can't spend another night copying out of another old book. This old book crafted the virtues of a nation. If you want to understand the minds and spirits of the people around you, you need to get, grasp every ideological influence passed down through generations, and your handwriting is still sloppy. No, it's not. When you're writing a one-word spell, maybe. Try a page of inscriptions and we'll see how, inf how effective those spells are. Devin stormed off to her bedroom, tore out a page from her journal, and wrote the words, Go easy on her. Nice try, he hollered from the living room. His mind was too trained. He could recognize which thoughts were his own and which were a foreign inscription. There was no swaying the mind of a scribe as well-trained as him. She would have to get back at him another way. Beef doesn't belong in cream sauce. She wrote on the next line, taking her time with every letter, focusing her thoughts and the intentions of her heart. Hey guys, her mother's voice rang through the home. What do you think of having tacos instead? Success. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Man, this is such a cool story. Yeah. It's awesome. It's really I, cool. I, I want to live in this. Like I want to I want to I want to read the rest of this. I wish this was a show that I just go turn on and see what yeah. happens next. Yeah. It's cool. I like the characters. I like the the sort of like world and situations that are set up. I think that they're like compelling little like character motivation little pools and patterns that we've seen in yeah. these little scenes. Well, I also think like I in in what we were talking about earlier about like power levels and stuff like that. I think showing power levels is a is just a, is, a, is really fascinating um and finding creative ways to do it like okay so you've been following uh you've been following her and she's you know made her teacher forget that she uh had homework and then she's um she's you know made her mom decide to make tacos instead of beef stroganoff where, where you get the power check of her teacher, you get to see her teacher, is literally dictating the world. <laughs> He's watching the UN on TV and influencing it to like basically keep everything at bay. Like He's a protector of the world type thing. So he's got like, and, and he can't be influenced. So like already in just, in just a thousand words, you have you have a, a huge power scale. You get to see like how much she can grow. And you know, you always, you always surpass the teacher. So eventually she could do something like that where she's swaying world events and then who knows what's beyond that. But that's at least where he can get her. Um, yeah. Or if she's more interested in food, swaying what entire cultures are eating. Yeah. She could do that. <laughs> like she could go anywhere with this. And I also love that, that, that he's watching the UN. So he, he scribes down in perfect penmanship like a half a dozen different languages, mm -hmm. the same thing, and it just like it hits everybody, and then everyone like calms down. Like, yeah, I just think it's no one of the one of the coolest things to me was like because because you had this like oh she's she she copies out copies of the Odyssey all night just to just to get her penmanship down, and like to me like the first time you hear that it's like the Odyssey. It's cool that it's the Odyssey because the Odyssey's also like this mysterious like kind of mythological and so it's like is she like also doing it on the odyssey to like because that is sort of this myth a lot is she also training her mind to understand mythology in a certain way and then yeah you sort of had the confirmation of that in this where like he's telling her the books she's copying themselves are important 
to understand mm-hmm. like to understand yes. the ideologies of people like you can't just sway people's mind just by writing that you want them to do what you want them to do like they she's already shannon's already introduced the concept of like well she used the forgetful spell on the forgetful teacher right like you you adjust your spells to fit the world and to to go along these like uh channels and and rivets that have already been laid in the groundwork of reality like yeah and it sets up like she's like her she's trying to study she didn't have her homework done and that's why she cast the first spell and now you get to see why she didn't have her homework done Uh you know and he's like homework's not important do this and so yeah. before this, he must have been like copy the Odyssey five times, you know, and then maybe this is the next time she's seeing him. She's like, God, my hands freaking cramped. I don't know. It's just got it, it. It feels the world feels lived in. Like it feels like I can. Yeah. Like I, I, I could sit in that room and. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, this is a cool one. Well done. OK, so our graduates mm-hmm. are uh, we've got. So who who's who's graduating? Right. Anna's graduating. Anna's graduating. Jameson is graduating, and Shannon is graduating. We have two other right guy, I would say, curriculum participants who are kind of on hold right now. Um, Tim's submission this week, unfortunately, sort of what was sort of around the challenge. I'm going to just me- message with him individually because I feel like in terms of completing the curriculum, in terms of doing work every week. He certainly has 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 sort of fulfilled yeah, fulfilled yeah. that and and probably for the for the sake of the interview understanding what the right guy's curriculum does to the brain for all intents and purposes we could have that conversation with him so I'll see what he wants to do about it see if he wants to wants to kind of get get another like challenge in there like in his own perspective however we'll talk about it the other one is low <laughs> low B hasn't submitted yet for this week but um he submitted late last week and yeah so if he that did happens get in again that no like then we're all good and you have passed the curriculum um and so yeah for those three people and for those two others who are kind of on track who we're not just gonna like cancel you out and you're not just gonna at this point just be like oh tari you missed your chance but like those five then are kind of on track to be interviewed within the next couple of weeks probably those first three are the most obvious ones right now we know we can start with and um yeah, so we'll be planning those out, and those will be like short kind of uh, like interview inserts that we're going to be recording outside of the whole episode. That's the the the, ep- the full episode beginning to end is still going to be something Micah and I are are then doing. We're going to find our own time that we're not forcing like a bunch of people to be on call for us for this specific period yeah. of time, probably <laughs> between like midnight and three a.m. <laughs> during a week, like on a weekday, right? Um, but whenever we figure out how to do them, there'll be like inserts inside the episode. So hopefully in the next episode, we'll be able to have two or three of those maybe. But sorry, that covers the right guys curriculum. We need to keep going. So it's your yeah. turn to go. No, that was great. That was great. <laughs> that was the that was the disclaimer at the at, at the bottom of like uh, some pharmaceuticals ad. <laughs> and he was <laughs> and boom, go. Yeah. Nice. Um Okay, yeah, so I'm going to share mine now. Um, okay, so Ben gave me or, or go gave me Oracle. And where is she? Here she is. Juro and Nifta have been whining about this Oracle for weeks. Yeah, Juro and Nifta, they're up to no good, I'm telling you. 
Um, okay, so uh, basically, it mine started with uh, this. I, I got Oracle, and in my first and second challenges, I established uh, these two con artists who are uh, basically abducting, or they're basically like scooping up uh, street urchins from outside uh, villages and cleaning them up to um, to like to sell them to uh, big houses as oracles. And then uh, they basically disappear and no one knows what happens to the kids after they're found out. Um, and this picks up and they have just picked this this new child that they've groomed and they're about to take them to, uh, to the, to the Duke that they're selling her to basically. Uh, but this is, uh, this one is onto their scheme and is basically conning them against them there. She's convincing them that she's this ditzy girl, but for real, she is, uh, she's, she, it, she was, her sister was taken by them. And uh, and she never saw him again, and she's out for revenge. So she's going along with their plan, them having no idea who she is. And uh, her goal is to to pass as the Oracle, gain power, and get her revenge. Um, so it ended with uh, they basically got on the wagon, and they're heading to this, this Duke's house, um, or the, this Duke's kind of kingdom. And... Uh, it ended with, um, her talking about like, okay, she had a week. Okay. With the crack of the reins, the wagon creaked to momentum as the dusty yoked draft horse began padding forward. She had a week, a week until showtime, but she'd have to practice while Juro slept. It had to be perfect. The risk was high, but the reward was power and revenge. If it worked, she would be the last. Her first demand, Nifta's head. After that, whatever the hell she wanted. And then we'll pick up. Let me, I'm going to shoot this over to you so you can. Mm -hmm. So I decided to make uh, it kind of like a chapter break. And I wanted to write like, whatever, what do you call it whenever you have like a little thing at the top of a chapter? A Brandon like, Sanderson chapter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it, it's like a sizzle, like a little like flavor text. Um, but this was it. This is the beginning of it. Uh, life simply can't last in the dead for long. Elizara, Moon Mother. Lake opened her eyes to the wagon slowing. You sure do sleep a lot, little miss, Jero remarked as Lake blinked in her surroundings. The road following the river had led them atop a hill that gave vantage of a small city in the distance. She yawned. Where are we? Two days ride from the Dukes. This here is the last decent stop for supplies. Want to get a hot meal, you a bath, and a good night's sleep for the both of us, Jero explained. The Waking Lake's face pinched in surprise. A bath? Again? <laughs> yep, nobles take them all the time. You'll get used to it, Jero chuckled and clicked his tongue, jolting the horse and wagon back to pace. This was it. Her last chance. The past five nights, all of her practice, completely worthless. She was an obvious imposter, no matter how hard she tried. As much as she hated to admit it, maybe guising the squeaky voice of adolescence with a wizened ancient tongue takes more than a few nights of practice, if even at all possible. Come to think of it, 
She hadn't ever even heard an ancient wizened tongue. How the hell did she suppose she'd feign one? But this place, this one night, this was it. Her last chance to find a way to sell this. She'd never been to a city this big, much less a city, ever. But she heard the stories. Anything you can imagine wanting, someone's selling it. So someone here has got to have the trick she needs. There'd be witches, alchemists, mediums, tinkerers, runesmiths, and dark breweries. Not to mention plenty of things she'd never even heard of. If the stories were true, that is. An hour later, they were trading. They were trotting through the city gates. Lake tried to mask her amusement, but it was all too much to take in. Her jaw hung low as she gawked at the giant water wheels inside the gate. Two of them, both five times larger than the one that powered her village. As the wagon rolled by, she craned her neck to take in the two behemoths, collaring the very river she and Juro had been following, the entire river, into a gear-turning power. They created a mist that cooled and wetted her skin as they passed. It was as if she'd entered a different world entirely. And if not, we could always just steal a chicken and prep it out back. She realized Drew had been talking since they entered the gates and had no idea where he was in conversation. Oh, sounds good to me, she tossed out aimlessly, whipping her head around to survey the street they approached. Inns, merchants, kitchens, peddlers, they were everywhere. She took a deep breath as they passed and, and a familiar foul as they passed, and a familiar foul smell invaded her attempt at wafting the sizzling savories. A stable must be nearby, too. God, that's rank, she thought. Possibly multiple stables. Juro halted their cart at a grand building with clay tile roof, wood shutters, woven awnings, and two stories. She'd never been in a place, been in a place this nice. Her eyes studied the sign that hung over the door. Nice. Gold lettering, she uttered under her breath. Of course, never learning to read, she had no idea what it meant, but that didn't stop her from appreciating the opulence. Eh, this ought to do. Wait here, Juro instructed, clambering down from the wagon. He disappeared through the inn's door and left Lake alone in bewilderment, staring at the people that passed. Their shoes! She'd never seen so many different kinds of shoes. Boots of all leathers, slides, sandals, slippers, clogs. <laughs> they must have a wizard of a cobbler here. A cobblazard! <laughs> <laughs> eh, probably not, she chuckled <laughs> to herself as she followed pair by pair with her eyes until they disappeared into the, into the crowds. She noticed one of particular curiosity. What was that? Scales? Feathers? Something else? Their movements, too, or lack thereof. She perched her elbows on the wagon's ledge, clasped her hands, and mounted her chin as she focused. They were the only ones not moving in this herd of footwear, and they were pointing at her. Lake's gaze followed the inky boots up over a dark ruffled dress to an immaculate coat of woven glass? What was that? She continued her study up to crimson lips and eyes of looking straight at her. And that's that's where I I yeah. I smashed through the uh the thousand word barrier and I was like, "God <laughs> oh, damn it, I got to stop." <laughs> How wait, so what was your actual word? 
for this one? My my word count? Yeah. The whole thing, I didn't count what I just wrote, but the whole thing lands at like 1,200. Okay. Wowie. Yeah, so you've got a cool scene here, a cool city scene. I think that lake is an excellent character perspective. And they like leading through this city scene um, is like it's effortlessly fun through her eyes. Um, and I think like we have a we have a scene generally without many sources of conflict or like uh, like without a, a real oppositional like back and forth that does work and is fun to read through. So congratulations. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I, I wanted to get straight to conflict. And when I sat down to, to write, I was like, okay, they just started on this journey. They're going to have seven days to get here. And she's practicing at night and like, what's that going to look like? And I just, it was starting to feel really boring, like writing these practice sessions. And then that's when I was like, I was like, man, what if she like, what if she, what if all that, what if her plan fails and she's got to just come up with something? And I'm like, okay, maybe there's like a, a, a town that they pass through. And then I was like, oh, maybe she could meet like, maybe she could meet a witch. So I had this whole idea going where she meets this kind of witch that basically teaches her like, eventually teaches her like, like why have the voice of of many false gods when you can have the voice of one true one type thing like kind of speaks in these like riddles and stuff like that she's like yeah like and basically she's going to end up like uh like impregnating her with a demon like where she like <laughs> she ingests this thing and it starts growing a demon inside of her mm -hmm. and uh and she takes on this demon's voice uh and that, that's kind of what's going to end up happening, which she has no idea what's happening. Because I want to keep Lake just like w like doing way more than she can handle at all times. Like always like, what the hell's going on? And so yeah. like this demon will end up taking her over, which will look like an oracle, but also like sets the groundwork to where we can make her... Um, maybe, maybe she turns it... Maybe Lake turns bad. I don't know. You know, maybe she's... I don't know where it's going to go, but I was like, okay, that would keep me interested. It's so, it's, it's really cool. I think it could, dude, like, I would love to see, um, and this is just one random idea of where my head went with it, but like, if the, if the demon was like, book one basically is like the villain, but there's like a Vegeta type, like, she learns to cope with the D, and it becomes sort of like a, one of those classic, like, possession type character, like, yes. OP things where like she can go into like demon form. Oh like, yes. It's like it's like a it's the villain of book 1. Like you think it's evil but like she totally learns to incorporate the power and it just becomes Yeah, maybe like separating them would kill both of them at this point. Like now they are one. Mm -hmm. And so like they have to learn how to live together and like the lesser of two evils and stuff like that and um yeah, so that, that and it, her being this like way in over her head like a uh, 13 year old girl or 12 year old girl or whatever is just like, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So this, the, the, that was what I was talking about whenever we were talking about costume, uh, like thinking about like, she's looking up and she's got these crazy boots that mm -hmm. she doesn't even know what they are. And she looks up and then it's like, and then it's like, a, I, it was going to be like this, this 
crotchety old like like crow of a of a hag, you know. And I was like, no, I want to make this like like this witch is like a badass. Like mm-hmm. she's a she's she's maybe she's a baddie, you know. Like she's a total babe, like in cutting fashions. And then she's got these like these these legendary type clothings, you know, like a a coat woven of glass or something mm-hmm. she hasn't seen. Yeah, but yeah, that's cool. Thank you, sir. So yeah, that is uh, that's Oracle, third round. Awesome. Go for it. All right. Um, so mine is in the dock there, the magician's secret part two. In the last part of the story, we had kind of set up um, this relationship between this magician and the artificer, uh, th- and they had just completed this like some kind of a heist, and they were making their way out, trying to escape from the great lord's manor. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no mention of exactly like what it was they were trying to steal, whether they were even successful, but pretty much like they were at this stage of trying to escape while the the Minutemen, the great lord's Minutemen were like going to burst through the door at any minute. The artificer was like, this portal's not ready. Don't go through this portal. Whatever you do, it's too dangerous. If I haven't had time, we haven't constructed the magic portal properly. We're not going to be able to teleport out. I don't know what's going to happen. The magician's like fortune favors the bold. I want to go through it and just see what happens. And the artificer's like, that's crazy. But here's this conductor. Just try to be careful. If you try to get it toward the center, you know, he's telling like all these ways to try to like, finagle it to try to make the spell more likely the the minutemen burst through the door which are like these armored guards with like stopwatches in their chest that are just like ticking um and uh they start to move really fast in the room they kill the artificer and as the magician tries to go through the portal they tackle him through uh and instead of like being really careful and getting the perfect pull with the conductor and like getting like he's holding this thing that's like reacting to the portal so he's trying to angle it perfectly as he goes in he gets tackled in instead and this portal that was already like extremely unstable all the magic of it completely consumes the two characters who had been tackled in and they just disappear and then you just have the scene is just the two minute men and the dead artificer in the room and the magicians disappeared. So that's where we are. Let's go. And this was all off of spell. Yeah. Okay. Two threads wrapped together, one over the other, forming a single string. Fedwin clutched his chest and glanced around the silvery chamber, fog and mirrors, an endless expanse of prismatic reflections. He saw his own body duplicated many times, sitting about the plane at different angles, fading endlessly to and from the ether, an army of apparitions following his every move. The fractal plane. Gods damn it. Not here. Not again. He panted. His heartbeat ticked faster and faster. Tick, tick, tick. Fedwin closed his fingers around a hard protrusion in the center of his rib cage. He froze. Tick, tick, tick. In the blink of an eye, he was scrambling at his robes. He fumbled with a lace on his chest for a moment before wrestling his collar into both hands and tugging down the layers. The flesh of his torso was a ruin, tinged nearly every color in dark blotches under a raw curtain of skin. Corrugated scars roiled over his ribs in a radial pattern approaching critical mass in the middle, where a stopwatch sat melted firmly into his chest. Fresh wounds bled between pulsing wrinkles where the edges of the timepiece fused with his body. 
He trumpeted a long-winded groan, some sloppy cocktail of, his, of exasperation and horror. Stranded out in the fractal plane with a Minuteman's watch in my chest, Fedwin grimaced and collapsed slowly onto his back. Might have really gone too far this time. <laughs> it is not my watch in your chest, Fedwin's eyes bulged. He clapped his hands over each side of his head and squeezed against the booming iron words rattling in his skull. It is my curse in your stem. Fedwin screamed. His brain was on fire. The watch is your own, blood, bone, and organ. A clockwork heart to keep the time of one removed from its natural rhythm. The magician closed his eyes and spoke through clenched teeth. And what is the curse? Untethered from the pace of reality, you drift to and fro at the will of our Lord, the keeper of the divine tapestry. We are a thread woven again and again over the mandala of time, lost in a labyrinth of nightmares and memories, serving his needs endlessly through past and future. And this <clears throat> divine tapestry, it is the great Lord's vision of a unified reality. Its threads represent our very souls. By cutting a thread, he'll stop a watch ticking. By sewing a thread, he'll reorder fate. Cantry said today's haul was worthwhile. Fedwin slung his pack off his shoulder and pulled out a rolled mat of cloth. But I didn't think it would get me out of a mess like this. Is that your great lord's tapestry? Yeah, that's the one. How did you... Honestly, I'm flattered that the booming voice in my head is caught off guard by my thievery. But unless you have any other lore or other backup info on this shit, I'm going to need you to quiet down. You're up here right now. Fedwin leveled his hand at eye height, then lowered it to his waist. I need you to take it all the way down here. Fenwood laid the tapestry out over the iridescent mirror image floor. Focus now. If we're getting out of here, we're going to need to do some pretty serious needlework. I wouldn't, Fedwin sighed. Let me guess. It's dangerous. We could both die. There was no answer. There are worse fates than death, like being stranded here in the fractal realm. And besides... How many times would he have to be the one to prove it? Fortune favors the bold. So sick. I love, I, I, I just want more of this. Needleworks. Yeah. yeah That's I, so I just, badass. I, th I what? I how just, did you, how did you go this route? Like We're starting to it. just throw in as many like high concepts as I could like just stopwatches in the chest like portals with like blue and like the ethereal plane having like a tapestry that like the cords like having that be like, have have to be tied to the stopwatches like there's something almost like Alice in Wonderlandy about uh, like how each part is like sim a symbol like each thing has its like that there's a tapestry and clockwork like they 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 should they don't they shouldn't be connected but they are somehow yeah. and like um it's it's like all like this carefully balanced system that somehow works together and i have no clue because obviously it's such a short story you can just kind of like throw stuff at the wall and like it like and you can let it just like feel like like a like a cohesive thing somehow but yeah. with this one I, I was just loving pulling in as many of those like surface level flavors as i could of different like i almost wanted to add in something with like the card suits you know because he's like a magician <laughs> yeah. and like a disappearing cat or something yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. dude it's so, like I, I also love you did something that is not easy to do 
but you did it effortlessly when you, the audience is along for the ride the entire time. They're like, oh my God, what is this voice? Oh my God, he's got this clock in his chest. Oh my God. And like, like you're feeling something and then you, and then, then your protagonist surprises you with debonair, you know, and you're like, what? Like, like this, this booming voice talking about the, the, the tapestry and how, and all this stuff. And you're, you're, he reorders fate and it's like, Oh, okay. Well, and just pulls out the tapestry. He's like, I thought huh, this could come in what, handy. What's the, is that, he's like, how did you, he's like, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> You're up here, bring it down here. Like all of a sudden you as the audience, like it basically in that moment, solidified from, from, from the last one to this one, this moment like solidified. This guy is like a James Bond. This guy's like a, he, he's like a, He's like a hero, you know, mm-hmm. and it's his wit and like he's a hero thief that is like one step ahead, kind of like a Lock Lamora almost. And uh, and and now when I see him in other 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 situations, which would be tricky to write because you got to keep topping yourself on like like how he can be one step ahead and everything, but. Mm-hmm. It just definitely positions it to where you're like, oh man, I can't wait to see what he does next. Like, yeah. I think yeah, with this guy, it's like he's not he's not always one step ahead because he's I think he's also he's kind so of reckless. an idiot. Yeah, yeah. Like he's 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 that reckless and like that. That's what makes up for that. He's not always one step ahead because he's always willing to like take yeah. the leap of faith. Put it all on black. Woo! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Couple wins, then a loss, then another couple wins. He's like, I'm still up. Yeah, I'm still up. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, he's man. a funny character. I do I did like him like coming up with that moment of like like it it was an intuitive writing moment because it was like I was writing from the perspective of this like thing that was taking itself so seriously. But then it was like being like surprised that he like took out the map and it was like, All right, dude, like this whole omniscient guy in my head thing was really charming like when you knew other information that you were giving me but now it's like i'm the one with cards up my sleeve and the voice in my head is still like chiming in like oh my god (laughs) it's like he's like okay no 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 no. (laughs) you don't get to be both you can't be the booming voice and be clueless you have to help me (laughs) so in this, the the watch that shows up when you f- were first reading it, I thought that maybe the Minuteman merged with him. Yeah, that's what happened. And okay, okay, so head. they he merged with him. Yeah, uh, and what uh, happened the, to the Minuteman? So he's in there. Like that's what that voice is, and like the 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 clock, the stopwatch. It's just like one overtook the other as the primary like okay okay i and it, like the minute so that's are, the, that voice is the voice of the minuteman yeah the, and, okay, and gotcha. the, the minutemen are already kind of like i i have other ideas of like they're not like they're they're kind of not like real people <laughs> okay <laughs> like a, a, a kind of like automaton that this guy has created and like that's why he can control them with the tapestry is like he can't necessarily fully control people who don't have the stopwatches in their chest. It's like part of you being connected because so the stopwatches once you're un unbound from the threads of like fate and reality, it's like your heart is no longer beating in rhythm to the time of seconds and minutes that 
earth human hearts beat to uh-huh you travel through time at your own pace so you literally need like a clock in your chest to keep your time mm. separate so like your, it's keeping your unique your, time yeah it's keeping your timeline in like a line and you're being manipulated by the lord like a thread wherever he wants to put you in yes. his tapestry yes so the stopwatch is connected to that in that way so like so him going to the plane it's like this place that you know he's been there before the fractal plane but it's like to get out he had to do some crazy shit and he doesn't have all those resources right it's just like there's all he's found himself here a couple times and like at each time getting out has been its own thing and so he's like, like i don't know if i'm gonna be able shit, to get out of plane. here again god dang it yeah and so he <laughs> um he what he does this time is he rewrites his story up to this point, which he can only do because he fused with the Minuteman. So, like, mm. there's this thing because he fused, he's now a thread in this tapestry that he can, like, just that he can also manipulate. Yeah, because yeah. he has the tapestry. So now he's in this place, and I sort of got it in my head that what the Great Lord is, like, the story of this thing overall. It's like the great Lord, they don't know this, but the great Lord is the controller of all fate. Like the tapestry is like his like way of, he's trying to command the whole world. And like he's slowly building that empire. And the more he does, basically he's putting all of his resources into literally defending his physical location where he is working with the tapestry so that no one can interrupt it and take it from him. Uh... And his whole castle is like around keeping this thing safe in this room with him. And it's the magician going in and taking it and having his own stopwatch. He has a lot of power now. (laughs) So, yeah. So what they were stealing in the very beginning of the story was the tapestry. Yeah. And what did... So uh, they stole it and then went back to the artificer's, like... That was, uh, that's, workshop? That, no, that was in the castle. The artificer was building a portal like in one of the rooms to escape from okay. the castle. So like they got there and they were like he was setting up in this like hidden room that like they didn't. That's how they in. they just they decided they'd go in. They knew they wouldn't be able to get out the same way they came in. So yeah. they went in. He was gonna steal it and they and they'd go to the this this adjacent room. Yeah, like build the and, portal and they from would inside. Just, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Man, that's a sick story. I'd love to hear more of that. It's a, yeah, I mean, like, it's, I, I definitely was debating, you know, whether to go back or forward in time, like, whether to show those parts of the heist, like, to show that what they stole, to show that scene of them stealing the thing, running back to whatever, or to go forward and show what happens after he goes to the portal. And once I had the idea of him kind of combining with the Minuteman and, like, the magical, like, like, clusterfuck that happens when he jumps through the thing like that just seemed like a more interesting part to yeah show, so so sick dude way to way to way to go with spell <laughs> so cool all right well that wraps up uh our our first ever right guys trilogy three-part story development um uh series yeah um i am just i'm honestly i'm just blown away and inspired by what was able to come out of just one word and then just focusing on let's just get it to 50 let's just get it to 500 okay now let's just continue that another 500 and seeing like these these full-fledged characters uh 
plots and villains and uh, worlds and magic systems and all the stuff like that off of just putting chair time in and breaking it up. Like that's, that's just really cool. Way to go, yeah. everybody. It was and awesome congratulations to, to our graduates. Yes, congratulations to all the graduates. And we'll be seeing you guys in the bar very soon. Yeah. To all the right guys back home, have a great night. Have a great couple weeks. Um, have a, oh, wait, we need to intro the next oh. challenge. <laughs> Here it comes. So while you're having a great night, um, eventually your night will end, end in sleep. And here comes the next challenge. Okay, so uh, we're breaking away from the trilogy. And this was this is another idea that Ben and I had in our mastermind session before we started this whole thing. This is called Dreamweaver. And this challenge, what we're all going to do is we're all going to start a dream journal. And journal, uh, like preferably uh, get it like paper and pen. Like put a notepad and a pen by your by your bed, mm -hmm. and I'm talking the first thing you do when you wake up, grab it and write down your dream, whatever it was. If you, whatever you can remember of it, if you can only remember like a face, uh, write down who that was or what it looked like. If you remember a whole scene, a whole story, a cha uh, like a flash chain of events, something like that, write that down. Yeah. Um, whatever you can remember from that, just jot it down. Yeah. And then title it, um, and then put it away. And the next next morning, do it again. Next morning, do it again. Next morning, do it again. Um, now that's a practice recommendation. That's not what the challenge is. Right, right. So, so this is this is we're we're starting a dream journal, and uh, and and we're all gonna do it. And then the challenge is to write a poem about one of your dreams. Yes. So the challenge, like to, to, to take any of those, it's you're not going to have to prove you did a dream journal every night. You don't have to do it every night. The challenge is to, to take, like the more you do it, the more ideas you'll have there to work with. Right. So the idea is to take this, this um, material that you have from dreaming over however many nights you've recorded these memories and to, to take that and to craft it into a poem and just to have one poem that is composed of your dreams, basically. Yes, one of the dreams. Yeah. Um, and but yeah. Or all. Or all, yeah, right, well, however, like, however you want to take this. If you, if you were to combine different experiences, I think that would be cool. Right. That would be cool. Yeah, okay. But yeah, if, if uh, you know, however much depth you're willing to go into, you know, we love getting little... Uh, descriptions about what this is and uh like what what the dream was and then reading the poem i love seeing stuff like that but when you're dream journaling i can't recommend enough to not do this on a notes app because the first thing you'll see is your phone and your notifications and all that stuff mm. and you will stop thinking about your yeah, dream there's and that stuff goes away quick yes there's a few factors that are very important if you haven't tried to dream journal before like um but choosing to remember a memory is not like a a b checkbox <laughs> um it's and it's not something that you can just like do on command um it's obviously this more subtle kind of like are you gonna keep be able to retain this memory or is it just going to fade from your mind but there are things that you can do there are techniques like michael was saying 
obviously not writing this on your phone, keeping getting yourself as few distractions between your brain and the page as possible is really important. Whether that means for you having a notebook next to your bed, probably some kind of like pen and paper analog way of doing things. Um, also like setting intentions. So like uh, obviously whether or not you have dreams in a night, whether or not it's something that you even remember when you wake up is something that we think of as being largely outside of our control. But actually if you go into an evening that you're going to sleep and you set yourself the intention if you say to yourself whether aloud or in your head but i honestly do believe the more the more concrete you make something like this like the more you're literally just making your brain listen to you say i would like to remember my dreams tonight like literally you can say that aloud and it will yeah. affect your ability your brain's ability to retain the memories of dreaming like whether or not you at, remember what happened at all when you wake up when you open yeah. your eyes in the morning and how quickly that fades like dreams dream memories do not fade the way that normal memories fade it's like if you don't have a way of getting that like out right away of like you'll have it for like a minute when you wake up that yeah it'll be fresh and like it, if you it can be gone while you're brushing your teeth like that's what i'm saying like don't even get out of bed like like yeah. before your feet hit the ground have yeah. written down in your journal so set intentions ahead of time and then act on them quickly when you wake up would be my recommendation the uh one other little tip that i can toss out is for this week practice um not looking at your phone 20 minutes before you close your eyes like that tough. is uh, it's it's a tough it, it seems like it shouldn't be that tough like like 20 minutes before you close your eyes like you just set your alarm go do anything else or sit or read or like think about the kind of dreams you want to have or whatever but try to not look at your screen or scroll or anything like that uh or like watch something like just try to be with yourself for 20 minutes uh before you close your eyes um you know just tips but all these things, I, f I think, just help you get present and in your in your body and uh, like your mind, your like your thoughts just kind of come into a line. And those things have been beneficial for me for uh, trying to like mm -hmm. make dreams happen. Yeah, I mean, it's good advice yeah. in general. Dreams are not. Yeah, like, like phone. Looking at phones and screens so late into the night you know and the the doom where, scrolling where you're just like uh just yeah. numbed out getting yeah. that that gratification yeah there's no shortage of statistics i hear about the <laughs> yeah. ways we could improve our lives by doing less of that so but yeah so hop in start your dream journal and i can't wait to talk about these and this is also something that i've i hope uh I'm excited to talk to some of our graduates whenever they come on and be like, Hey, how's your dream journal going? How's uh, anything cool popping up? I, I, I dream journaled for a while and I'm really excited to do this again because I remember, I still can remember vividly uh, two dreams that I had that I journaled and um, one of them turned in, well, actually no, three, maybe more than that now, but two Two dreams that I journal ended up being oh sleeper songs, mm. banquet for the, banquet for traitors and charlatans host, mm. um, and uh, and then another one was this is like this is now this horror movie concept that I have in my head that I could walk you through this thing vividly because I wrote mm -hmm. it down once like right when I got out and I haven't gone back and read it but just the act of writing it down I have lived it I'll never forget it yeah. like it's it's there. 
But yeah, it's going to be fun to see what, what cooks mm-hmm. up. Yeah, dream journals are cool. Um, but without further ado, I think we should probably be calling it. I think This is it. We did yeah. it. This is episode 12. We're at a dozen. Next week, we'll be at a baker's dozen. <laughs> Just flying through this, baby. Is that what that is? I never know. It's one more, yeah. And, oh, this is a cool thing. Uh, Spotify now has video. Yeah. So that's sick. I just noticed mm-hmm. that right before we got on. So very yeah. cool. We've been on there the past couple of weeks. We got video on Spotify. That's awesome. Yes. Yes. Right, guys, is is in the, the mainframe in the most updated possible uh, v- video and audio streaming capacities every week uh, so far. <laughs> Soon we'll be offering a VR experience where you VR can experience. Be, you can be the TV. You're the TV looking at us. You can be the bartender at the bar making us drinks. Yes. <laughs> and this is going to be the back of our heads and then the podcast audio. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, um, this has been great. Ben, I love you so much. I love you, Micah. Great hanging out. And uh, we love you, right, guys? And uh, sweet dreams. And we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.